Hey, what's up, everyone? Another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mike Mahler and Sincere Hogan. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, buddy. I can't wait to talk to our guest tonight. This is going to be an awesome, awesome show. I was just talking to James Pond, our guest for tonight, for about 20 minutes before we even started recording, and people are going to be, this is the show you want to listen to, folks. This is not one you want to fast forward or skip or save for later. You want to listen to this topic, and you're going to be surprised that we're even talking about this, given that both Sincere and myself are fitness people, but we always wanted this show to be a lot more than how to deadlift a lot of weights or do pull-ups or sprints or get a six-pack abs. I mean, we talk about those things as well. But at the end of the day, those are pretty low things in terms of getting an important message out there. Exactly. So tonight, tonight it's all about something way more important than that. And also our guest, James Pond. James, you have to have the coolest name that I've come across <laughs> in a long time. I mean, you must, when you first met your wife, you must have said, my name is Pond, James Pond. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, actually, the way we met, it was uh, just about that way. So, um, <laughs> although, you know, there's, there's been days, I mean, to have the name Mike Mahler and, and to be a fitness guy, that's got to be pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fit. It kind of fits my name. So, so I, I lucked out. It, it, it wouldn't quite work if my last name were, I don't know, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt aggressive strength. doesn't quite have the same right. ring. <laughs> <laughs> got to admit, though, it sounds, it sounds more like a wrestling moniker than anything. Yeah. Mike Mahler. <laughs> Mall her is throw in there. Mike Mall her. <laughs> but uh, James, I, I'd love for you to say in your own words just a little bit about your background, what you do for a living, and then we'll discuss kind of how you got into it and just have a nice conversation going forward with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm the founder and CEO of an organization called Transitions Global. Um, we, we started this after, um, I had been working in corporate America for about 10 years, was working for a plastic company, started a charity that is all about helping restore the lives of girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. And, um, and we do that in some really unique ways, which we can, we can talk about going forward. What, what exactly is sex trafficking? And I'm just, it may seem like a dumb question, but for someone who's never even heard that phrase before, can you give us an idea of what exactly is that when we, when we hear the phrase sex trafficking? What are we talking about? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of sterile definitions. Like I can give you the, the UN definition of it. It involves force, fraud, coercion. But really right. what it is is we're talking about sexual exploitation, and at the bottom line we're really talking about sex trafficking is basically rape for profit. Right. Um, right. It's It's about a global epidemic of the abuse of, of girls, women, and sometimes boys um, that involves basically selling human bodies for, for money and the self-gratification of, of you know, sex tourist predators and, um, and you know, people that feel that, that, that prostitution is some appropriate way of uh, expressing themselves. Right. Now, are these kids and young people that are being kidnapped or are they being bought sometimes? How exactly it, are, is this whole exploitation yeah. taking place? I mean, there's, there's a number of different entryways. And I, and I think as, a, as an American culture, we've got to get our head around this kind of the third way I'll talk about. But, yes, yeah, some, some girls are, are, are kidnapped uh, and taken from their homes. Um, you know, we were just in, in last week where there's actually a village where girls are groomed from the, from the time that they're born um, to be sex slaves when they reach puberty. Oh. Um, 
you know, there's, there's places where um, certain communities in Southeast Asia know that they're vulnerable to having traffickers come in and basically pluck all of the girls out of their village, um, you know, when these girls hit 12, 13 years old. Um, you know, the second way, and we, I think this is frequent, is that we're seeing girls that are recruited. So we see a lot of um, teenagers that are promised jobs in another town. They're promised right. opportunities. Right. They go, and then they're vulnerable. And then, the, and then the third way, and I think this is what we're seeing kind of this global thing happening, we see this happen a lot in the United States, is that girls that are vulnerable are picked up by some guy who promises that I'm going to love you and take care of you and you're, you're going to be mine. And the next thing they know, they're being gang raped in a hotel room. And this guy basically consumes her life, forcing her to you know, sexually service customers several times a day for his financial gain and his own sense of, of power and control over an individual. And so I, I think those are the three primary ways that we're seeing um, girls and women sort of sucked into the, the sex trade globally. Yeah, so because yeah. just going by what you described, it seems like Hollywood finally kind of touched on a little bit more when they came out with the movie Taken, and I think that's when it was a little bit yeah. brought to more of a broad scope of you know what was going on with this. Yeah, of course, it was more for entertainment through the movie, and it was very dramatic with Liam Neeson and all that. But pretty much, dude, I mean, just going by, you know, what Mike has told me about you, you're kind of like our, you know, our version of Liam Neeson right here, except it's just not, you know, it's not your daughter, you know, you're going out saving, you know, per se, you know, directly, but you're going out saving all these other girls out there pretty much doing the same thing that he was doing just for one character. You're doing it for on a much broader scale right now. Well, it, well yeah, and real quick, James, before. Real quick, James, one thing before we go further is, is I got it. we got to hear your story on – you told me a great story on how you and your wife were watching a show on CNN that was kind of the switch that allowed you to just break out of this state you were in and change your life dramatically. we we got to hear that story because so many people have a previous life like you. They're working in corporate America. Their satisfaction in life may vary anywhere from moderate to okay, but they're not passionate or excited about what they're doing. But something happened with you. So we'd love to hear that story before we start talking yeah, about some uh, more stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, we were living in Northern California. Um, I had gotten a job. I was the uh, uh, national accounts manager for the nation's second largest plastic company in, um, in Rancho Cucamonga, California, of all places. And, um, and we were living kind of the American dream. We, we had the house, the BMW, the, the dogs, the, you know, I think what most people would consider a, a fairly um, well-to-do American existence. And right. at the same time, you know, we're raising these three kids. My, my wife and I had decided when we started having kids, we were really young. And we were looking at, at parents that were raising their children, and, and they were constantly coddling their kids and saying, um, oh, we're raising children. And so um, finally, someone said, you know, oh, are these your kids? And I said, you know, actually what my wife and I are doing is we're raising adults. Hmm. And we Very started taking this tack that we wanted to ingrain in our kids that instead of having everything for themselves, we really wanted them to have everything so that they could give it back to somebody else. Right. So we were raising our kids. You guys can make a difference in people's lives. You guys can make a difference in the world. You guys should live self-sacrificially. And yet here we were, you know, kind of living this American dream, just kind of plodding through our life. And there was a real sense of dissatisfaction. And uh, in 2004, 
uh, we watched an MSNBC Dateline special called Children for Sale. And, and it, was, it was horrifying. Like, I mean, we see things on TV that are devastating all the time. Right. But this, this, like really, this was like a soul-crushing moment when you hear little kids basically throwing out a price of $30, $60, $90 to sell their innocence to someone. Yeah. And um, so my wife looks over and she says, you know, we, we've got to do something. Like, like, you should call the U.S. State Department, find out what's happening in Cambodia, um, and so, you know, that Monday I'm down in Los Angeles and I'm sitting on my cell phone trying to get through to the office to combat and monitor human trafficking, had a great conversation with them. They were extremely helpful. Um, but ultimately it came down to, you've got to take this trip to Cambodia and, and kind of figure out what's going on. Went to Cambodia for a couple of weeks, um, met with a number of organizations and sort of the resounding cry was, you know, we really need a program that could come over here, help girls through the process of healing. That's, that's intentional, that it's quality. You guys are here for the long haul. Um, so, you know, I'm flying back home and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to pitch, throw everything out the window to my wife and see if we'll drag our entire family to Cambodia. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, you know, I get home at like 1.30 in the morning. My wife greets me at the door and she says, you know, I know, I know we're moving to Cambodia, but we're going to talk about it in the morning. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> so uh, we sat down with each one of our kids separately. We asked them, you know, if you guys had this opportunity to move to Cambodia and make a difference in these kids' lives, do you want to do it? And uh, we had a unanimous vote. And all of my kids at the time were 15, 12, and 9. Wow. And, uh, so the, the next day, my wife and I kind of put together this strategy. We put the house on the market, sold our cars, sold everything we owned in garage sales. And I'll tell you, nothing more humbling than taking all the crap that, that you own that means so much to you and stick it on a garage sale and have little old ladies peg it 25 cents. <laughs> right, right. Uh, nothing, nothing makes crate and barrel and pottery barn more worthless than a garage sale. <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> but um, and so 10 months later, you know, we're standing at the airport with um, 15 suitcases and um, heading on our way to literally transform our family's life. Um, and, and we got over here and and started a program for for girls, believing that we kind of knew what we wanted to do. We were going to set up kind of this Fort Knox for for kids. We we're going to create this safe oasis where we could bring kids in. And uh, when we got here, we discovered that, that something very different was going on. Um, the girls were not kind of 9 and 10 years old, were more 13, 14, 15 years old, quickly approaching adulthood and in need of really progressive services to help them become healthy young women, get back out into the world. And so that's how the Transitions Program was born. My, my wife and I took the same concepts that we had in parenting our own kids we started bringing in professionals from the therapy world and social work world uh, and residential programming world and help them help us build this program out. And that's what transitions is today. Wow. Fantastic. What are some of the, I mean, you're working with girls directly. So I mean, you're really in the field, you're on the front lines. You're not, you're not someone sitting in an office and raising funds and then writing an article on a website. You're out there in the field, actually meeting victims of this human trafficking what kind of what state of mind are some of these people in, and what kind of an uphill battle is it to try to turn them around and give them some hope and some skills where they can lead a much healthier lifestyle? Well, I mean, you're really, so when you 
talk about these kids, like just to give you a composite of the, of the average girl that we see coming into our program. Um, so we get a girl when she's about 14, 15, 16. Um, this is a kid who's probably going, growing up in, in a somewhat impoverished family with a lack of opportunities as a girl. So she's already got three strikes against her. Right. By the time she's seven years old, she's probably been sexually abused by a family member or someone close to the family. By 11, she's been sexually assaulted within her own community, which is a, a reason why I think Americans need to be keenly aware of uh, sexual assault and rape and how that impacts women, and, and then trafficked by the age of 14. So these are, and then these are girls that have gone through having to service 10 to 20 men a day in, in brothels. So if a girl is in, in one of these situations for a year, you're talking about over 1,050 rapes a year. Oh, um, and so when these kids come, it's about you know girls that are dealing with heavy dissociation very complex trauma um and then there's the physical issue uh, you know public inflammatory issues sexually transmitted infections uh the physical pain that comes along with that kind of abuse um right. so w- usually when girls are coming in they're dealing with a lot of stuff um and so it's the, it's the emotional physical psychological issues and what we see are girls that really come in kind of uh, a shell of the person that they used to be. Wow. Is there, I mean, I can't even imagine where you start with this, with, with trying to help someone like that. Is there, is there some initial steps that are taken and then you try to build from there? What, what, what have you seen that has been effective with helping turn these young ladies around? Yeah. You know, when I were talking in a, a conversation previously, and one of the things that, that we saw happening in the in the charity world particularly in the anti-trafficking community is so much of it was based on this charity mindset of let's just do what's good enough we'll, we'll bring these kids in and we'll love them and feed them and stick some clothes on them and then you know we'll give them some kind of menial skills and put them back out world and say we did a good job right and really didn't believe that that was was possible so in building this program what we tend to do is we'll bring girls in do a lot of heavy assessment so we're having our, our clinical team really do a lot of psychological and um, emotional testing. We're taking girls in for their medical checks. Um, we do restorative dentistry. So we've had girls that, you know, they're banged up either through abuse or neglect. Yeah. Um, so we'll do restorative dentistry with the kids. Um, you know, we do educational assessments. We're really going through a process of figuring out like who are they, where are they, what do they need, and then putting together a care plan moving forward so that throughout the girls' program, she's getting all of that assistance, whether that's you know intensive therapy, which every girl gets, um, you know independent life skills, um, you know medical, dental, educational, vocational help along the way, so that we can help that girl get to a place where she's got that emotional and physical health that she needs to get back out in the world as a healthy young woman. Sounds like wow. you're really building confidence on multiple levels. You're, you're, you're kind of helping it's, it's people really about become whole kids. again. Yeah. yeah. It's like they're becoming Absolutely. whole again. They've been, they've been destroyed through abuse and now they're coming back with confidence and becoming whole. And you were saying that often what happens is some of these women become ambassadors to help other women. So that's gotta be pretty gratifying when you see that happen. Yeah, they, particularly when you see someone who, who really gets it. They, they look back at their own life and they go, well, I had it pretty damn bad, but other people have it bad too. And if, if someone was willing to help me, 
maybe I should be willing to help them. So uh, right. we actually had a, a couple of young ladies that became yoga instructors. So like licensed, um, you know, actual yoga instructors working at a studio, making money, and they decided they decided to take their skills and were going to disadvantaged communities and working with other vulnerable children, teaching them yoga and then teaching them how to keep themselves safe, how to respond to situations in their family where, where there might be domestic violence and where to go if they find themselves in danger. And that, that's, it's extremely touching to know you've invested in a kid's life who then went out and is doing something that, that's multiplied over and they're making a difference in someone's life as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah James, I've got to ask no, go ahead. Well, sure. I have to ask now because we know this, you know this is going on as a business over there. So – with that being involved, you know, it's got to be like these big organizations, this organized crime or anything like that. I'm sure there was some type of like local opposition from, because again, they're seeing these children as product and pretty much, you know, you know, here's this American coming over here and is messing with their product and their business. So, I mean, were there any situations where you was kind of dangerous and you're dealing with these, you know, these low lives, you know, like head on face to face. Yeah, we, uh, we work with a number of partners, so I try to keep three degrees of separation for our organization. So we work with uh, partners like the International Justice Mission uh, mm-hmm. that actually conduct a lot of the investigations with the local police here, mm-hmm. so that by the time we get the girls, we're at least a few degrees removed. Um, but you're right, there, there is a growing organized crime element um, in, in Southeast Asia. We've got everything from Russian mafia to the, yeah. you know, to the triads, to, mm-hmm. um, you know, Korean organized crime groups. Um, and it, probably our biggest scare come around the time when court trials are coming around and girls to testify. Yeah. Um, that's when, that's when we've seen pressure. Um, you know, we've had a couple of, you know, black SUVs parked outside the shelter and we know that they're waiting to see if, you know, if the girl who's waiting to testify is going to appear somewhere, they can put mm-hmm. pressure on her or make threats. Um, so we're seeing that grow as the escalation of this is, is happening. It used to be years ago, um, you know, this was an opportunistic crime. It was um, pimps and traffickers that were just kind of low lives wanting to take advantage of people. But I think the money is too great, and um, organized crime is starting to look at this as a way of actually filtering billions of dollars through their own industries. So, you know, yeah. in the United States, we're seeing MS-13, Crips, Bloods. Well, they're right, yeah, MS-13 is right here in Texas where I am. Yep. And, you know, yep. I, we have to deal with them right here in Houston. And, you know, they have a big presence right here in our own city. So, and, and a lot of what, you know, what you're fighting over there is happening right here in the city that I live in. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's heavy duty in, in Texas, and a lot of it has to do with that organized crime activity. Exactly. Yeah, how, that, that's the question I really had is how, how prolific is human trafficking in the United States? And how, how is it happening? Is it happening through... I don't know, gentlemen's clubs or some of these old night massage parlors or, or someone's neighborhood, someone's home. You know, how, how, is, how is that whole thing going down? Yeah, well, great question. I, um, I've had the opportunity. We do a lot of consulting in the U.S. So we go to different states and actually work on issues of trafficking around, around the U.S. And one of the things that happened recently as I was in Baltimore uh, at a Johns Hopkins conference kind of following the Obama administration who had said, um, you know, this is a massive issue that the United States needs to pay attention to. And so to, I'll, I'll answer the, the, the question in, in kind of a roundabout way. One sure. is 
we really don't know. Um, that's our biggest problem in the United States is we really don't know how big the problem is. Um, I think it's been over-exaggerated by some camps of people saying, oh, it's 300,000 American teenagers are being trafficked. The, the honest answer is we don't know. We know it's happening. Um, the states that we've been to, uh, we worked in the city of Nashville, and we were able to identify that in any one year there was 162 victims, um, teenage girls being trafficked in the city of Nashville. Um, in Chicago, we, we know that there was a uh, hundred plus some odd girls in Portland, Oregon, it was 116. Um, so, you know, as you start taking that by volume, you take that over 50 States, I would say it's thousands and thousands of American teenage girls are being trafficked in, at any one time. Um, and some, some of this low level stuff, like it's, it's individual pimps, it's, it's people that are manipulating other people. And then, um, on a on a grander scale, and some of the things that we're seeing is, um, uh, in back in 2012, a Somalian gang was found trafficking girls from Minnesota uh, down into Indiana, mm-hmm. and so you know I I think we're we're seeing uh, this grow as as an epidemic, um, maybe not because it wasn't happening before, but now we're actually seeing it. So, so the weight of burden, I think, for the United States over the next several years is we've really got to handle, got, got to get a handle on how many victims are they, where are they, and, and how do we begin the process of getting them out of these situations and into situations of help and healing and getting them um, you know, back out into the world again. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems with all of this is the fact that the reason why it exists is because there's an actual consumer demand for it. So yeah, people, absolutely. You know, so it, it's kind of like people are like, well, like, how do we help these girls? How do we do all that? But I think the larger issue is why is there a consumer demand for it? And what kind of people are these consumers? Because I think a lot of us would like to think that, oh, it's some nasty, perverted. I mean, they all are that. But there's probably a lot of people that you would never guess would exactly. be that no, kind of person. No. Because there's, there's all kinds of people in America that you hear about who do these little sex tours to the Philippines. Well, that's what I was just about Thailand. to bring up. Yeah. In Costa Rica, that's, that's really big. It's like, you know, a lot of people have this, this vision of Costa Rica being this big, beautiful place, but prostitution and teenage prostitution and child prostitution is so big there. And, you know, they have all these sex tours that come from the they, – they put together here in the U.S., and all these, these creeps all get together and go on these sex tours. They go over there, and they're specifically there just to, like – you know, exploit children in this way over there. And like I said, a lot of them are coming right here from the U.S. So <laughs> I think, I think that, that the issue that's really eerie is that these people could be your next-door neighbor. Exactly. They, they, they could exactly. be friends you grew up with in high school. They could be someone who is a community leader in your a neighborhood. And, and then this is what they're doing on the slide. This is their kind of dark secret because, mm-hmm. I, because I mean, there's obviously a large consumer demand for this kind of stuff. And that's why, well, that's why the gangs are involved because there's money to be made yeah, here. Money, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a there's a really super, there's a, an important clarification that I think will help people get their head around this a little bit. And and one is when you find um, sex trafficking, one of the things that I think is distracting for us as men in particular is is the word sex because right. it, it sex is awesome, and yeah. and. And so really what we're talking about, sex trafficking is about violence, control, and power. It has nothing yeah. to do with sex. Because sex, at its, at its core, like, 
going to a prostitute means that you are going to be having sex with someone who doesn't want you. And that, and that seems like right. such an abstract principle. Like why would you yeah. want to have this I- intimate interaction yeah. with someone who doesn't want to be with you? Absolutely. Um, I agree. So I think a lot of the demand is really built around this odd conception that it really has nothing to do with sex. It has something to do with something psychologically screwed up in an individual that wants to have power, manipulation, and control over another person. Right. Um, that's at the forefront. And then you guys hit on another one, which is, you know, we usually have in mind this like 65 year old lecherous looking guy, you know, creeping around <laughs> corners. Yeah. With uh, and, black, black, right. Right. Glasses. Yeah. And it, and it runs the, the gamut. I mean, sex tourism is, is it's college frat boys, um, you know, all the way to guys in their, in their nineties running around Thailand, trying to have their second lifetime. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that, really in communicating this to the American public is um, I think there was a statistic floating around that 27% of American men have purchased sex at some point in their lifetime um, is that that means that, you know, for every three friends that you're standing around, one of them has either bought prostitution or is buying prostitution on a regular basis. Yeah. That number is probably, several times higher out here in Las Vegas. Yeah, well, my, <laughs> oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Probably more like 70%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, and, you know, and we're not having, we're not having these serious conversations around, you know, what, what is the impact of, of keeping this kind of mentality? Well, just playing, a, double, progressive just playing devil's advocate a little bit is, yeah, let's, we, we have to differentiate between, let's say, a grown woman who decides to become a, a prostitute legally, let's say in Las Vegas or elsewhere, I mean, I'm not talking about the ethics or anything like that, but there's obviously a yeah. huge difference between a grown woman who says, you know what, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to make $1,000 exactly. an hour having sex with guys of my free will. I'm not doing this because someone's right. forcing me to. That's obviously a lot different than the kind of women that you're dealing with, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're talking yeah. about children, um, and yeah, there's I'm, not a child in the world, and I think everyone out there would agree that, that there's not a child in the world that can, could consent to putting themselves oh, in the situation. I, 100%. No, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. You know, if a, if a 15-year-old girl decides she wants to go out and do this, then yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's a totally different scenario. And I'm not saying that I agree with prostitution being legal or illegal. I'm just, I just wanted to make a clear distinction of – if someone goes to one of these ranches, for example, in Las Vegas and blows $1,000 on a grown woman, whether we think that's lame or not, that's not necessarily him abusing this person. Now, if, some, if that same person goes to the Philippines and pays whatever the fee, it doesn't matter for a young girl, a child, you know, that's a totally different scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, would you Absolutely. agree, James, that it's, you know, part of the reason why this is so rampant is like, like, we're having this conversation right now, but I'm pretty sure there are those who are listening to this conversation. They're feeling pretty uncomfortable just, just listening to this. And pro- or we're probably saying, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is really happening. And what happens is it's, it's such – oh, man, I can't, I can't even think of the word right now that I, I could even use. But just, just thinking of this scenario, just visualizing, like, what is happening to these children, it becomes a situation where maybe it's to the point where some people just – they can't deal with it. Like, I just can't even think about that. And then right. they try to just move on with their lives. You know, right. it's, it's, it's kind of like Mike I was talking about, you yeah. know, a couple of weeks ago. You, you see some crazy stuff on the news or whatever, like, oh, man, that's messed up, man. I, you know, I, I feel really bad, and then you change the channel. And I, yeah. I just feel like maybe we're doing that in real life when we have this conversation, you know. I don't yeah. know. It, well, it, it, it happens. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead, Mike. No, no, you go ahead, please. 
you know, one of the things I was, I was going to say is, is, you know, you guys talk a lot about fitness and, and one of the things that we know is that, um, it's usually the, the exercises we hate the most that we should probably do be doing the most. Right. Um, those are going to help us towards growth. And I, I, I think that our emotional, social, uh, and, and sort of moral growth really comes out of engaging the things that we're most uncomfortable with. Um, and, and I think this is one of those topics that's really hard to face, but if people will really press in, they'll see it for what it is, which is it's really a threat to our progression as a society if we're, if we're not willing to look at, at, at a horrible crime that's happening to children. I mean, this is literally the next generation of, of girls. I mean, these are not just um, – it's not just some empty-handed thing. This is literally kind of the, the progression of society. And so I think we've really got to press into something that's, that's hard and challenging to, to kind of see it through. And yeah, it, I, think it problem, sometimes, I think the yeah, problem we become, have is, oh, yeah, sorry, oh. go ahead, yeah, I think, I think the problem is we become detached when it's not affecting us personally. Yeah. So if you're someone, yeah, exactly. you know, who's a parent, you know, like yourself and myself, and you think, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, you have people who think like, well, it's not happening to my kid, and they become detached from the situation. And right, But then yeah. what you tend to find out is like you have a situation where a child is abducted, someone's child is abducted, and let's just say, you know, God forbid, your child is killed during that situation, then this parent becomes this advocate for, you know, exploited and missing children. But why do we have to wait for a tragedy to happen personally? Because honestly, to tell you the truth, all the stuff that's happening right now, it is a personal tragedy because it does affect us. We're all connected with this. So it it, it is a personal tragedy. I think one thing people don't realize is that, you know, maybe human trafficking is not as large in the U.S. as other parts of the world, but the amount of both men, young boys and girls that have been molested by a family member or, right. a, or, or a nanny or someone in school is profound. I think it's way higher than people realize. Oh, yeah. Because, especially oh, with young guys because a lot of guys don't report it. So the statistics are not going to be as accurate with young boys because there's kind of more of a social stigma there. They don't, they don't want to admit that they were ever in a vulnerable state. But I mean, yeah. anyone who's read my book knows that I, I've been through a few things when I was five years old. I won't elaborate on that. But when I started talking to other people about things I went through and my experiences, I was shocked how many of my friends and people I knew had a similar story themselves. And they, they, when I confessed what I went through, other people started talking about what they went through. And it started becoming not who has been molested, but who hasn't, because right. it, it's a mess. So that, that kind of energy of of stuff that happens here in the U.S. is very similar to what's going on over there. And I think that the questions start becoming, why is this stuff happening? Why are people doing this stuff? And like you said, it's, it's about power. I agree with that completely. That's exactly what it's about. It's not about sex. It's not about having yeah. sex with a little kid. It's about having power over another human being. But why is this person desiring that power over another exactly. human being? You know, why are they willing to pay for these sex toys overseas or molest a family member, you know, whatever the context yeah. is? I think that's the real problem because it's, it's like I said, it, if, there's, if there isn't a demand for something, then that's it. It dies off. Right. But there's obviously right. a very high consumer demand, as sick as that is. And a lot of us don't want to think about the fact that a lot of people want this stuff. And that's why it's proliferating so much. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, as we're as as the Internet grows and and our I think we've lost a, a, a sense of human contact, you know, like I yeah. think 
yeah, folks are definitely. not talking to each other. We, we don't know our neighbors, but and you know we buy everything online. We communicate <laughs> through text instead of talking to each other, meeting face to face. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's created a greater sense of anonymity for these kinds of things that just sort of happen behind behind the lines and for people not to have to think about it. And, yeah. and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it creates a vulnerability. You know, I, I appreciated, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you shared some of the things that have happened in your life. And I think you're right. I think it's a prolific number of people that this affects in some way. Um, but it's the shame that actually pushes it underground and keeps us from bringing it to the, to the surface to actually talk right. about it. Right. I feel that um, when you've been through stuff like that, though, it's like a yeah. poison in your mind. You're like a sleeper cell with a bomb inside you. In other words, you're, you're suppressing something that happened to you, and you just try to get on with your life. But it's in your mind at all times affecting the way you decide things, the way you act about things, the way you react to things, and you're not even aware of it. And then if yeah. you don't deal with this kind of stuff directly and intense realism, then it's, it's not going to get better just on its own. It, it, it can literally ruin your entire life. And I've seen people where it, it's ruined their life. They can't be in relationships. They have a hard time making friends. Forget about boyfriend or girlfriend. They're just, they just don't have the skills to be able to handle something like that. And it's because they've never addressed this abuse at all. Now, it, the abuse I'm talking about is nothing compared to the abuse of these women that you're working with. I mean, that's astronomically more intense. You know, a right. thousand, the equivalent of a thousand rapes a year for who knows how many years. I don't even, know, yeah. I can't even fathom the mental state of someone who's been through something like that and, and how they recover from it. So, I mean, it's, it, it's such an immense problem, but I, I'm wondering how much, how much of it could be addressed by addressing why the consumer side exists in the first place. And, and I don't even know what you do. I mean, what do you do on that side? Do you start just locking people up? Or, you know, I don't, I don't know what the solution is on that side either. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I've been, to, I've been to a number of different conferences where people are starting to have this conversation. Uh, last year, I went to uh, a conference that was hosted by a group called Men Can Stop Rape. Right. And uh, it was really about beginning this conversation of what's happening in, in the male psyche that would, because um, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but a gang rape is taking off at an epidemic level um, globally. And so, wow, you know, we're seeing, know. you know, guys actually get together in a pack mentality to pull some girl aside and, you know, basically serially rape her. That actually, you know um, what, that, that has happened. There's even been people putting up clips on YouTube and things like that in the U.S. Yeah. Like yeah. More high school and so, students, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, what's going on with us as a, as a society? Um, and so I think they're asking questions. The problem is I don't know that we really have any, any solutions for, for us on our end. I'm, I'm focused on taking, taking victims out of these situations and helping them rebuild their lives and make sense of what all of this means. So part of that right. psychoeducation that we provide for them is really understanding what is exploitation, um, you know, that this is not about sex, that this is about, you know, power, violence, control, manipulation. It has nothing, nothing to do with you as a survivor um, right. so that they have the opportunity to move on with their life and build healthy relationships after they've left here um, and so I, I think from that perspective, we're, we're not addressing demand, and yet I'm working with a number of groups that are looking at it. And I think a lot of it is we've got to become more aware. We've got to start talking as men. Um, part of it for me as a father was spending a lot of time with my, my son and helping raise him exactly. to have a strong sense of sexuality and what that means. Yeah. I, I think it's gotten really screwed up. 
I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. I agree. I definitely agree with that one. And I, I mean, the, the average age of pornography for, for kids is 10 years old. Yeah. 10. What does a 10-year-old boy do with pornography? What does he even understand images? what he's looking at, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and then what does that do to forming habits and an understanding of how to sexually act in the world? You know, I mean, my, my dad would have kicked me in the nuts had oh, I ever just disrespected <laughs> a girl. Right, right. And and yet these kids are, I mean, gang raping girls, saying things to them that, I mean, I can't I think imagine. I think what happens, James, is that when you're exposed to that level of pornography at a young age, you start looking at women as you objects. Next level. Yeah, objects, yeah. objects yeah. for your pleasure. They're, they're no longer yeah. human beings. Now it's like I can do right. whatever I want. It's about my pleasure. This is not a human being. This person's here yeah. to do this. And then there's power humiliating this person and so forth. And uh, I, one thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, how much is social media being used to further sex trafficking? I don't mean to stop it. I mean to actually proliferate it. Things oh, like Facebook and so forth. I, I, I have yeah. to imagine that Facebook is, is used quite a bit for that. It, it, it is, and I, I'm seeing Twitter more more so, um, particularly wow. since our Twitter is connected to the keywords for sex trafficking. Right. Uh, we get a lot of sex ads, and so we'll get actual uh-huh. like girls, individual women that are basically being trafficked through Twitter. Um, wow. And then Facebook is the same way. You'll you'll notice you get this uh, friend request from some woman oh, yeah. who has one photograph yep. up. Yep. Yeah. Nothing else on there, nothing on her feed, but she's got like right. 60 male friends. Right. And that is, that is, and a, they're all replying to her, but she's product. not replying back, you know, yeah. just like you see all these exactly. guys like, you're so beautiful. You're this, this, and this. And yeah. it's like, dude, she's not, this, this is not what you think it is, <laughs> you yeah. know? And no, and, no. And, you know, and anyone who knows what they're doing is sending her cover. a message like, yeah, here's my phone number. Yeah, you know, trying to lure these guys, you know. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think social media is really it's it's become a very simple guise to separate the human element and be able to push images out in front, and it just becomes an intoxicating advertisement for exploitation. Uh, you bring up some interesting points though about the whole no one's talking about sex and health healthy relationships and so forth. For example, in America. We're bombarded with sexual imagery everywhere you look, television, magazines, internet. I mean, where I live in Las Vegas, just driving around. But, I mean, we're bombarded with that. Yet, at the same time, it's a taboo subject that no one wants to talk about. You know, parents yeah. are talking to their kids about it, so kids just learn from internet, porno, friends, <laughs> you know, older yeah. brother or guy, older kid on the, on the street. And no one's having that discussion, and it's such a taboo. I mean, I talk about the importance of a healthy sex drive in the context of optimal hormone profile. But even when I bring that up at workshops, I know I can look at people's faces just when I say the word healthy sex drive, that they almost start thinking, you know, Mike is a pervert who's talking about, you know, why is this kettlebell guy guy talking about how high his sex drive is and how that's a sign of health and, and so forth. And it's, 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 it's such an important component, though, of health that I have to bring it up because it would be a disservice. And it, it's the most accurate barometer of whether your, your sex hormone profile is healthy or not. But at the same time, in America, when you bring it up, it's almost like you get a little chuckle, like, oh, 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 oh we're talking about sex now. Because, because yeah. Americans are so immature about the whole thing. You know, when I give these lectures in other areas, like in Europe and so forth, it's not the same thing. But in, like in the U.S., I noticed that all of a sudden you can feel – 
and I'm sure Sincere has noticed this too, you can feel the discomfort in the room and then people kind of work through that at some point. So I think, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head is the fact that no one's talking about anything. And now that because we're such a disconnected society with technology and so forth, it's, it's been, it's just exaggerated even more. So it's just been, it's, it's even more immense. Well, you know, and, and then I think as, as, parents in this generation i mean when I'm, I'm 45 so when i was growing up at 13 my my parents plopped a book on my pillow said here's a book about sex if you have any questions come and ask i didn't have a question <laughs> yeah, I, got, yeah, I, got the, I got the i got the interview so uh right. she's right. like uh, so, so uh, are you doing that yet? My, doing I what? Having, my, my sex education came through you know my my other lame teenage friends Right. Um, you know, Playboy magazines that my friends had, you know, their fathers left laying around yeah. and, and my own imagination and, and what a sad example. And so when I had kids of my own, we just decided as uncomfortable as it's going to be, and God, I can tell you it was uncomfortable. Um, we're going to have these conversations with our kids right. and, and, and it is hard. My daughter at eight came and said, you know, like, what is sex? And so we said, okay. Mom and dad are we're gonna keep talking until we get to a place where you feel like you you know enough and you you tell us. So, you know, we started having this conversation and we said, you know, and so, you know, a man puts his penis inside of a woman's vagina and she's like, Okay, yeah, I got it, I'm good. And but <laughs> and that was uncomfortable to talk to an eight year old about. Right. Oh, I'm sure. But my kids didn't yeah. but my kids didn't grow up with this fantasy kind of Santa Claus, Easter bunny right, idea. Right of sexuality. And then I've got to try to turn it around when they're 16, 17. So, you know, when they were teenagers, we could have real conversations about, you know, birth control and what it means to be in a sexual relationship and what happens in terms of intimacy and what's going on with your body. Cause it makes all the damn difference in the world. If we're oh, going to raise a healthy generation of adults. Yeah. It does. yeah. I think, I a lot think of what, you know, one of the wrong. things that goes wrong as a parent, you know, they, they don't even address it to the children in a way that makes sense. It's like, well, even the words they use to describe just sexual organs, they're like, well, a guy has a pee-pee. Like, no. what <laughs> he does with the organ, okay? He uses right. the penis to pee-pee. You don't call it a pee-pee or a tallywhacker or something like that. It's a real word. It's a penis. It's a vagina. Okay? It's not a hoo-ha. You know, not a JJ. Okay? You right. start using That's real true. Start the other thing is that, scenario. I mean, as men, we're not really taught how to – uh, even ask a woman out or anything like that. I mean, I never got that conversation, for example, like how to, how to even talk. You see our mic? Mike? Oh. Did we lose Mike? I think we lost Mike. <laughs> All right. So, okay, well. I thought for sure I was going to lose it on my end. Yeah. I, <laughs> or mine. <laughs> you know, we were having a technical, you know, technical difficulties in the beginning with me. So, so far, so good. So I think right. I think he got back on. Mike. Oh well, I think he'll he'll be back on in a second. He probably had to dial back in. But uh, <laughs> no, but you, yeah, guys, you guys, like, you guys, know, really, just like Mike was talking point. about, just like not even being able to know how to ask a girl out, not being taught all that. You know, it's, I always make it a point, especially with my sons. Um, just like you, my ch- my children are right about the same age as yours. Uh, my oldest is 21. I have one to be 19 next month, and. You know, my daughter, she's 14. So, you know, with the boys, I always told them whenever they go out, I'm like, oh, I always remember this. Don't, do not treat that girl any way that you wouldn't want your mother to be treated. 
Okay. So, you know, just give her the same respect as you would want your mother to have the same respect. So if you wouldn't want some guy treating your mother like that, you don't treat this girl the same way. Give her the same respect. Or I also tell them, think about your sister. Now, treat the girl you're going out with the same way you'd want your little sister to be treated. Okay. And just something just that simple, you know, to put in their mind, especially at a young age. You know, so, and nothing's changed. Even if I'm out, you know, even though they're older, if they're out, it's like, hey, I see you looking. It's okay. You're a man. Yeah, you'll look, but that's it. Okay, don't go over there. Don't do anything else. You have a girlfriend. Calm down. Just, you know, just learning respect. And, and I really just feel like these days that is no longer being taught to the majority of the kids out there today, and which kind of sets up these scenarios that we're talking about today. It's just that, you know, that lack of respect. I think, I think, I think James, though, I think one big problem is that, and it's kind of creepy to think about, but there, there are people that are being brought up just the way Sincere just mentioned. They're very respectful to their wife, their daughters, their friends, kids, women they work with, et cetera. Yet these same people go to Thailand and Philippines and flip a switch where now they, they feel like, you know what, I'm going to be respectful to the women in my life, of course, but these are not women over here. I can do whatever I want. And yeah, these, you, these are, these are people it. I'm buying. Yeah, these are people yep. I'm buying. So now, I mean, if I, if I want to rape this 10-year-old kid, it doesn't matter because I'm in the Philippines or Thailand. She's not the same thing as my daughter or my wife and all that. I mean, that, that's the, I, I think that's probably more common, honestly, these people who engage in the activities out there yep. than people that are like, yeah, that, that's the only thing they do. It's probably people that live this normal life, and at the same time, they have this other dark side to them that their own, the people close to them aren't even aware of. Well, yeah, it comes yeah, back to the I, whole situation about power again. It's just like you, you have this separation happen where, okay, I'm an American. I'm going to this, you know, quote-unquote third-world country. These people are below me, you know, so they're nowhere where I am or my children, you know, so why not, why not do this? And I'll come back to my life. And, I mean, this is, it's not like they're going to be anything anyway. You know, it's just this whole separation thing, in my opinion. Well, I mean, you guys are hitting something on, on the head, which is a number of the studies that have been done internationally – have said that the vast majority of, of the customers come from, you know, they're, they're, it's not like some single guy who can't find a girl. Right. It's, right. It's, it's usually guys who have a relationship and would say that they are, you know, quote unquote, happily married. Right. Um, you know, although I tend to question that. And, and, I, and I think a lot of that goes back to <laughs> some of the healthy sexuality conversation is, you know, how many married men are able to have an explicit conversation about sex with their wives right and i and yeah. I, I don't think it's very many i i've been married 25 years my wife and i have an incredible relationship but a lot of it has come around having some really challenging conversations you know really yeah. difficult you got to use the real words <laughs> to have some real communication and uh, <laughs> you know you don't use the whole pee pee and hoo hoo and ha ha you know, if you're going to use hoo-ha, you're not going to get very far. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, 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 I think that's what it is, is Mike is, I mean, if you were going to like crush it down to a soundbite, I'd say intimacy, right. in, intimacy costs something. And I don't think people want to pay a price. It's just easier to just go out and, and manipulate someone else, have power well, over them, feel that, feel that back. sense of it's control. Not to try to get that authenticity in your, in other words, you have a relationship you're not happy in it. Instead of trying to do something about that, you just say, oh, I'm going to have fun on the side doing these activities. Yeah. I'll just take more trips to Thailand, Philippines. <laughs> I'll hit the local strip club more often. I'll go to the bar after work after, uh, for a couple extra hours and flirt with some girls there. Yeah, like that kind of dysfunctional behavior. 
I'm yeah, o- I'm always is. amazed by people that are in miserable. Like both people are miserable. The girl's miserable. Yeah. The guy's miserable. But they don't. Neither one of them wants to leave the situation. They rather just be miserable and have all this dysfunction and just keep it going as much as possible. Because I remember I saw a show. I think it was on HBO uh, about strippers, their lives, and so forth. And they were being interviewed, and a lot of these women are like, oh, their most regular customers that they make the most money off of are, are frustrated married guys who come in and just talk about all the things that their wife doesn't want to do or the things they can't bring up and so forth. So now they're trying to get that somewhere. Like the male sex drive is so powerful that if it's not being satisfied by your wife, your girlfriend, or whatever it is, then you're going to go try to find an outlet for it somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and intimacy costs something. It means, it means being vulnerable. vulnerable. And most right. men right. don't want to do that. And I, and I think Thank this you. kind of goes back to your earlier point, is if they have been sexually molested or something's happened in their past, that, yeah. that level of vulnerability, they're not willing to go there. So it's, it's just easier to go to some you know, anonymous place, have the discretion where no one will ever hear your secrets, Right. And, and you can't be vulnerable with the people who mean the most to you. It's, it's, right. it's literally. Well, a, you're afraid they're going to judge them, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that brings up an interesting point. How many of these people, I mean, there's no, I, I doubt you have an answer for this, but I just, I would, I would be curious to hear what your opinion is. How many of these consumers that are going to these women in these, these sex trafficking situations or, are people that were in abusive situations themselves growing up are, are in some kind of powerless situation as adults, and now they're trying to basically torture other people as a way to try to vindicate themselves and get some power back. I, want, I wonder what percentage of these consumers fall into that category. I, I'd say it's high. I, I yeah. mean, I, I really would. I, I, I yeah. mean, just, just thinking about, you know, what we were talking about before, I mean, there's a theory that when someone is sexually victimized, that there's a high percentage, particularly in males, that they'll become perpetrators. Right. And, right. and I think that that's the way that they would perpetrate that is that it's a means of regaining sort of that control, um, you know, to be able to, to get that power back, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of like, and, yeah, not, you know, never again. You know, I won't be the yeah. victim again. I'm, I'm going to get you first before exactly. you get me. It reminds me of that movie Hostel 2, which is a stupid movie. You know, it's a dumbass movie. But there was there was there was, a, there was an interesting storyline in the movie about these these two guys that are basically living these these boring lives, and they got these nagging wives, and they they got these jobs where they're not being fulfilled at all, and they they're basically going to Eastern Europe to torture kidnapped people, and both of them are doing it as a way to feel powerful. Like, I've got power over another human being, and that's the right. payoff more than anything else. They're not going out there to have sex with these women and so forth. They, it's the fear that are in these people that are being tortured that's the payoff, like the fear yep. in their eye of about what's about to happen and so forth. It seems that that fear of another human being just being petrified of what you're about to do to them is a real narcotic for a lot of people, yeah. Oh yeah. or it's highly addictive. Yeah. And that's yep. a problem in and of itself. And I think there's, there's a chapter in my book about how everyone is capable of becoming yeah. very evil. Yeah. And there's, there's a really oh, good book called, yeah, there's a good book called The Lucifer Effect. And it talks about how everyday people can be easily manipulated into doing extremely evil acts. And then we've had genocides in our lifetime, such as what happened in Rwanda. You know, that, that's a case study in and of itself right there of, of how low humans can go. So, I mean, we're all capable of 
things that we don't want to admit that we're capable of. That, that's a crazy thought right there. And I think the fact that people are so in denial of even letting that message in is scary in and of itself because those are the people that are more susceptible to do those evil actions because they're not even willing to do the due diligence to have the conversation with themselves on why they have certain thoughts and behavior and, see, and become more well-calibrated so that they're not going to go out there in society and snap. I mean, if you don't think about what you would do in certain situations, like Rwanda was 800,000 people were butchered in a few months. And it wasn't yeah. just a few people that were doing it. It was a lot of everyday people that would have been considered normal everyday people by the rest of us if we had met them before those events. Yet somehow, when all of this brutality was happening, instead of doing anything to stop it, they just joined it. Yep. Some people try yep. to stop it, but and that's also interesting is why were some people willing to put themselves in harm way and say, this is bad, so even if I'm going to die, I'm going to try to stop this here. There was one guy that was worked for the UN from France, I believe, or Canada possibly, that was, that was doing a lot of stuff to try to help these people, and he lives with the guilt that he couldn't help more now. Oh, but, yeah. I, mean, I actually read that book. It was yeah. uh, some, something uh, speaking with the devil. He yeah. actually – Came back to Canada and, and uh, was the first general to admit that he committed. He, he made a, a suicide attempt, right? Um, because of the, the guilt and shame he carried. Yes, absolutely. I, That's him. You know, you I think me? a lot of it has to do with um. There, there's a really. Um, I, I think it's people who know that they are a differentiated individual, and, and I, I think that those are the people, like you were talking about, you know, hormone opti- optimization and. And, and, and fitness and all of these other aspects that make us a well-rounded person. I think right. being a differentiated individual is, is what really sets us apart in those situations. You know, it's, a, it's like, you know, when we were growing up, our parents told us integrity is what you do when no one's looking. Right, and, you know, right. That, absolutely. The, the gang mentality of, you know, just kind of following each other over a cliff. Um, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a part of our, our, our human vulnerability is that we're, we have this likelihood to join into a, a group mentality. But I think what differentiates us is that ability to separate ourselves from the group and go a totally different direction, even at, at immense self cost and, and sacrifice. Yeah. No, I think, I think also with people that have been through abuse and go on to continue that cycle, I think the problem they made is, is and having been through abuse myself, I can understand that mentality because you, you kind of have one or two choices to make. You either embrace compassion completely and you make your life about that, or you yeah. embrace that anger completely and now your life becomes about that. So now you may be a guy who is abusive to his wife or you're, you're abusive to your kids or you go out and get into fights for no reason or you have very unhealthy behavior. Maybe you start developing a drug addiction, et cetera. Or you become someone that becomes extremely compassionate where you want to help people, you want to help animals, you want to help kids. Your whole life becomes about some kind of compassionate effort. And I really feel like that's the only way to move past that kind of abuse. You have to find a way to turn that negative into a positive. That's really the only way that you move past it. You have to say, what I went through is not going to define the rest of my life, and I'm going to use that to be a better person and do better things out there. I mean, To me, that's the only way to move past that stuff. Absolutely, and and you've got to have a community that can that can get around you. You can't just do it on your own. Right? Yeah, definitely. You, you've, been, you've been through stuff. You, you got to help. You got to allow people to to come into your life and help you. Is that uh, what's been effective with a lot of the women you work with? Is that you're working with them and you have a team of people? Is it is it multiple positive voices from different angles 
that really has the I, most impact? I, I absolutely believe that. And I, I think yeah. that's what helps children develop strong self-esteem is, you know, it, it can be one person. I mean, there's been, uh, you know, studies on children that have shown that, you know, one positive impact in a child's life can, can affect them long term. But we want to create as many voices as possible in these girls' lives so that they're getting that positive input. So by the time they leave, they've heard, you know, sort of the crowd of thousands behind them cheering them forward. Like, you can get past this. You're more than your experiences. You're more than your past. You know, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. You just got to put your mind to it. And when yeah. that survivor, um, you know, when that survivor spirit kicks in, something amazing happens. I mean, they, right. they literally can achieve whatever they want to. And I mean, look, look at what you've done. You've taken, you've taken all of the negatives in your life and, and you've turned them around so that now it becomes a positive force that drives you to do other things with your life that are meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you. And uh, the other question I had is how, how difficult is it for these women to have healthy relationships with men after everything they've been through? Yeah, with the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I thought it, I thought it would be really, really hard. I, I thought we would see very few girls leave and have any kind of relationship with men. I mean, if I were in their situation, I don't know that I would ever want to have sex again. Yeah, I don't exactly. know if I would want any contact with a, with a male gender. Right. Um, but but really, what we're trying to do is we have a number of male staff uh, at our organization that that are role models for these girls. And we've actually seen a, a fairly high percentage of girls leave our program and go on to actually get married, have children, have successful families. That's great. Um, but more so, and this is kind of an interesting statistic, is we've seen girls leave and they actually are taking the time to pursue a career rather than jump right into having boyfriends, which I actually even, think is even better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's even better. I think it's healthier because it allows them to really find out who they are before they get into a relationship. Yeah, it becomes self-reliant as well. And if you don't have to depend on a man for any reason, you find yourself, you find a career, you find satisfaction there, become self-reliant, become a more complete person. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and yeah. that works, you know, in any situation. That's just a good yeah. theory to follow, you know. And I say it to my daughter all the time. It's like, you know, you know, establish, find out who you are, especially right now. She's 14. You know, so, you know, the whole world is kind of just shaky at that age, you know. It's just yeah. like there's a lot <laughs> of things happening, happening to you quickly, you know, from nature to just everything. You know, you get ready to go into high school. It's just a lot happening. So you definitely want to build that base. And, and you know, even it's, it's awesome that this is still the situation that, you know, you guys are doing for these young ladies as well. Uh, because, hey, most of them probably weren't fortunate enough to have that strong influence of just somebody who actually gave, you know, two craps about them in their early life, obviously because of what they're going through right there. So it's kind of like, okay, it's not, I do have someone that does care about me and you know, I can, I can do this now, you know, I can move yeah. forward. So it's really good Absolutely. you guys are doing that. I'm curious, Absolutely. James, how your kids were affected by this whole thing as well, because having, having traveled around the world myself at a young age, my parents were, very smart to take me around the world. My mother's from India. My dad worked for the UN. He's probably been to every country in the world at some point in his career. So we, we traveled around quite a bit and we didn't travel to all the tourist attractions or stay in fancy hotels. We stayed in rat, rat infested hotels and we stayed in, we, we, we stayed in you know, basically abject squalor. So I, don't, I don't know if my father was trying to teach me something or it was just a, it was like an inside joke for him. I'm going to take these kids on a crappy vacation. I don't know. But the, out, but the outcome was, 
what I mean. You you can't take your problem seriously anymore because you know what a real problem is. And you can't yeah. when you when when your website crashes or you're not getting as many sales for a product or you didn't get as many people at a workshop. Those those are mild irritations because you know what real suffering is and what real problems are. Having seen yeah. India, where like the worst poverty I've ever seen, and I've been all over Africa too, is in India yeah. by far. It's just yeah. it's just overwhelming, and people have never been to India. I mean, it is overwhelming when you see it. It's like you see a high-rise, high-rise apartment complex, luxury apartments, and then right in front of it, there's there's kids living in dirt, look like they haven't eaten yeah. for a month, and yeah. are being. I mean, it's it's, it's the, the the disparity between wealth and poverty is no more delineated than in India. It's, it's immense. So it's it's really overwhelming. So I'm curious how your kids having grown up in this or seeing you and your wife build this organization, how they were affected by that, because they, I, I imagine had a chance to meet some of these young ladies themselves and see the transitions they made. Yeah. Uh, all of our kids, when we, when we first moved here, were really involved with what we were doing. Um, in oh, fact, that was my cool. son's pitch at 12 years old was he said, look, if we're, if we're moving to Cambodia, so you and mom can do this, like I'm not interested. But if we're all going as a family, we're doing this together, I'm, I'm all in. Wow. And so uh, hmm. my son taught a sports program for the first two years. And so he did, um, you know, went over and taught the girls to play soccer and, and badminton and, um, you know, different games and things. And so they were really engaged. And I, I think it, it created a really formative foundation for them to look at the rest of their lives through. Um, we used to go out into the provinces really early on. Um, my oldest daughter worked for Habitat for Humanity here in Cambodia and helped build homes. Um, we did a, a shoe program where we took um, flip-flops out to the provinces. A lot of kids uh, get hookworm in their, hmm. in their feet. Right. So taking flip-flops hmm. out is actually a preventative measure for, for kids to keep their basic health. Um, and they, they got a lot of exposure. We did some emergency medical programs um, out in the countryside they saw a lot, and I think the way that it's impacted them is it's given them a much broader worldview. They see their problems um, through that lens. I think it's made them a lot more grateful for the things that they have and the opportunities that they have in their life. Um, but it's also set a trajectory for the rest of their lives. We, we told our kids that what we wanted to do was give them the very best story we possibly could and that we would write the beginning and they'd have to write the end. And so, you know, we wanted to give them as much exposure to what the real world was like and let them figure out what they want to do and how they want to contribute to the world, um, you know, with their lives moving forward. So, um, you know, they, they continue to remain advocates for transitions and, and they, you know, they speak, they're involved in events and engagements. Um, but what they do with the, the rest of their lives is, um, is up to them. So I'm kind of excited to see where they go. Uh, their maturity level has to be just off the hook. You know, I mean, your, your son at 12 years yeah. old is like, look, I want to be involved if I'm going. I mean, most 12-year-olds I know are just be like, look, let's make sure you have PlayStation set up over there <laughs> and make sure make sure where are we going to get junk food. You know, yeah. they, they, is there McDonald's nearby? I mean, most yeah. kids, I'm honest to be honest, that I, and I don't come across a lot of kids. I don't work with the youth or anything. But, you know, I, see, I hear a lot of spoiled brats out there. So it's, it's, oh, it's, it's really cool for me for, to hear about your son and your daughter. That, that's really cool. That, that, that's, yeah. that's just fantastic. I mean, they, their maturity level, is, like I said, I think you said your daughter is about 23 now and your son's 18. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, their maturity yeah. level has to be way higher. 
than anyone well, around them. <laughs> you know? I, I, I tend to think a lot more highly of my kids, but I, I, I really do see them as, as outstanding young adults. I, I think the other thing too, Mike, is that being around these girls, my son had an experience one evening. He was, um, uh, he would do English and, and Khmer, which is the Cambodian language. He'd sit mm-hmm. with the girls and they'd do language together. And he came back one night and just had tears in his eyes and, he said, I was sitting on the swing um, and the girls and I were talking and kind of this moment of silence fell and these four girls started sharing their experiences. And he said, it just felt like this, like, like, well, I'm putting words in his mouth, but this liminal space, like the, it was just like this, I couldn't say anything. All I could do was listen in awe of what these girls have been through. And I think that really formed a lot of his own sexuality and the way that he looks at, at women and relationships and, and there's no way I could have ever provided that for him. I mean, that was literally something that was like translated into his life that I think's had a, a lifelong impact on, you know, his relationships, the way he looks at the world and, and girls in general. Wow. No, that, that's incredible. I, I'm curious what your opinion is on, on gentlemen's clubs in the U.S. And here's what I mean by that. And a lot of guys go to gentlemen's clubs, and it's, it's not about having power over a strip or anything. They're just having fun, right? They're going there with the guys. They're smoking a cigar. They're watching this and that. You know, it's very common in the U.S. I, but, but, but is that somehow a gateway to worse things, meaning that if that's step one, where they're going there and it's all fun and games, is that making them more comfortable with step two where it starts going down a darker path? What do you think about all of that? Yeah, I, I really believe it, it does. I, I think yeah. that when we're talking about exploitation, you know, like uh, uh, Sincere and I were talking about uh, when, when your line had dropped out, we were just talking yeah. about um, <laughs> so parenting in general. Right. Is, you know, how, how do you want your own daughter to be treated? And right, so, right. You know, right. sitting in these clubs, I mean, most of these guys are not the age of the girls that are working there. Yeah, these girls are roaming true. around naked and basically infusing someone's imagination mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that puts that person, like most strippers would say, I'm in a position of power because I'm, I'm naked. These men are putting dollar bills in my, in my you know, uh, bikini strap or whatever it is yeah. and throwing money at me and I'm the person in control. But actually they're not. Those men are taking their clothes off. They're sitting there having a cigar and a drink and yep. basically mocking you and engaging you and That's throwing a, a pittance of money at you um, for their own entertainment. And I, I do believe it creates a, a gateway because it's, it's an exploitive situation regardless of agency. Like I understand everyone's an adult and we're all, you know, everyone there is consensual. But I do believe it creates a, a gateway that's just an unhealthy part of society. Because trust right. me, yeah, because he's probably sitting there. The last thing he's thinking about is thinking of you as a lady or a woman. Or most importantly, what my father always said to me, is this someone that you would bring home to meet your mother? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, is this right. somebody like you, you would bring to the family reunion or something like that? And, and yeah. you could feel proud about that. And well, we, could, we could flip the you, script, you get that money in your strap, you know, in your G-string or whatever, he's not thinking that. So guess who really has the power here? <laughs> you right. Know? But then, right. Sincere, we could flip the script and say, would these girls want to bring the guys, the consumers, home to meet their <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. you know, the guy, the guy who goes to the strip club every Friday night after work, is that the guy that the girl wants to bring home to meet mommy and daddy, you know? So because, and sadly, and sadly <laughs> there's a wife at home that did. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. So, i mean i i think because that's that's one thing i've always thought about stuff like that is because I, I i've heard women say what you've said actually is that 
you know, I'm in control and this and that. But more often than not, when you talk to a stripper and you probe far enough, I would say, I don't know, I don't know what percentage I should say. I'm just throwing a random number out there. But it's a pretty high percentage that went through some abuse themselves. That's what oh, provoked yeah. them to get into that line of work. You know, if they, people always want to believe of the fantasy of the really smart stripper who is working on her MBA and is just doing this to make some money, and she's going to go on to be the next Martha Stewart, right? That's kind of like the fan. That's probably one in a billion, if even that. But most of the time, it's a woman who has had a very unhealthy upbringing who is acting out in a negative way with either consciously or unconsciously. And she, like you said, she thinks she's in a position of power, like, oh, I'm getting these men to do this. They're all looking at me. But the reality is the men are the ones who have the power in there. They're the ones in there that are basically have the money in their pocket and and are in control yeah. to a large extent. And I think you hit on something really yeah. important is that I, I see most of the women that, that we would call the elite 2%. You know, uh, they're, they're the person who they knew somebody who knew somebody and they got into the, the porn industry and right. now they're a producer or director and they make all this money. But it's the other 99% that, you know, you find out they've had early childhood abuse. There, there was an uncle that was molesting them. They were in these totally disempowered positions. And, and no one in these industries is asking, what is this girl's hopes and dreams? Right. You know, they're looking for how long can we use this person until they burn out and we can move on to the next pretty face, figure right. out where to go. And, and even in and, Hollywood, in movies, it's like that. I mean, how many older Hollywood. actresses do you see, like Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, and Helen Mirren? I mean, those are the only three I can think of. Most right, women, right. even if they're good actresses, once they reach a certain age, it's like, bye-bye. Yep. You're no longer sexually yep. appealing, so good luck Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. And it's, you know, those are all, at least in Hollywood, you get your SAG card and, and, you know, hopefully right, you got paid right. well enough to be able to retire on that. Sure. Um, you know, the, right. the, the porn industry does not. It's literally a, a fleeting glance for a person who's probably going to spend the rest of their life as a drug addict or, or exactly. be on the, on the waves of different forms of exploitation for the rest of their lives if uh, someone doesn't intervene. That, that brings up yeah. another interesting point, James, is pornography what is that also a gateway to this deviant behavior so in other words if someone's a big fan of internet pornography and there's they never really acted beyond that they're just watching this stuff online and they think it's frivolous and harmless is that planting seeds in their minds which could eventually provoke them to say you know what it's not enough for me just to watch this on my computer anymore i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and look up tickets to the philippines and thailand and let's take this to the next level let's get the guys together and do a guys trip let's go to costa rica yeah, I mean, and, and this is just my opinion. I, I know this is a this is a controversial oh, subject among yeah. uh, among men, but I think I think pornography is it's seriously screwing up society. It's it's putting a false impression in in the male psyche as to what sexuality and relationships and all that are about. And I, I see it as a not only a gateway for for sex tourism but a gateway for other forms of abuse it's it's regularly acknowledged that men that look at pornography um, are seeing so many different images that they have to keep intensifying those images because quite frankly you're not looking at it like uh searching for fitness videos where you're just watching them you're you know (laughs) you're it's masturbatory material that you're getting off to and so you're constantly having to intensify the high and there's a great TEDx talk, a guy basically wrapped it down to, if you want to know why we have a generation of young males with ADHD and erectile dysfunction, 
pornography is at the root of it. Yeah, they're the, so desensitized. The yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. so desensitized that a good-looking woman in their bedroom is no longer enough anymore. It has to be something much crazier well, she, than that. Yeah, because she's yeah, not doing they, something. She's not doing all the things the girl on the fetish side is doing, and you know, and all kinds of other madness. And it, yet, like you said, it becomes a drug. Because even with drugs, you know, you have the gateway, but then eventually that high has lost its appeal. So right. you know, like I, I know I can get higher than this. There's got to be yeah. something better than this. So. You try the I next mean, thing, gotta, and the next thing, and the next thing, and then you just come crashing down, and you've destroyed yourself till right. you, you don't feel anything anymore, and it's really hard to come back. And then you have to start back from the very bottom. As, you know, pretty much if you sobered up, it's no different than just these different appeals, I guess you could say, in pornography. So we studied a lot of this stuff when I was in college and in the human sexuality class, and just how it affects the brain and, and this, this disconnect with with people, and especially in relationships. Um, and, and in marriages as well, because again, you just kind of, there's this, this fantasy world. The stuff is not even real. I mean, trust me, you're not going to have, rarely you're going to find some chick that's going to slap you down and say the things that these girls say in a porn movie. But these guys, <laughs> they've been doing it for so long that they start to believe their own lies. Because when they're watching it, it's a lie. But, so they start to believe that lie and expecting that lie to come from the person they're with. And if it's not coming from them, then they think that person's wrong. Like, well, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, why can't you do that? Right. Dude, that's and, not and real. When, that and when you look at, <laughs> well, and when you start looking at what are, what are the most popular images that males are looking at and what they believe uh, females want in a sexual relationship, they were saying that the number one thing is, is how many girls do you know want to have sex and be choked to death? <laughs> and, and yet these are the images that, that males most visualize doing to a female. Like that should send a really clear message to us that, that pornography is dis- not only distorting our view of images of, of, of sexuality and intimacy, it's screwing up our ability to have actual relationships with real people. Right. So you, yeah, no, those are all, those are all heavy points right there. Yeah. for sure. You know, the thing about strip clubs, that strip clubs that's interesting, back to the gentlemen's clubs, is that I have, I have a friend who used, who used to manage a couple out here in Las Vegas, and I remember my brother was talking to him and saying, you know, how many married guys go to such places where it's kind of a gray area, right? They're not totally cheating on their wife having sex with these women. They just want to see other women and flirt in that sense. And he's like, no, 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 no. No one's going in there for that. These guys, these guys will take it as far as they can if the possibility is there. So in other words, they're going into the strip club with the intent of, you know, worst case scenario, I'll just get some lap dances and do this. But if there's an opportunity to take it further, I'm going for it. And that there's a lot of wheeling and dealing of that kind of stuff. So I'm curious how much of sex trafficking is distributed through gentlemen's clubs, where you have women that are forced to work in there from other countries. Maybe they don't have their green card or whatever it is. And they're being and they're they're trying to find clients in there. Yeah, I, I think it happens quite a bit. I, you know, probably mainstream clubs where there's a lot of, um, you know, interaction from, you know, the health department and police departments coming in right, and checking, right, right. probably not much. But when right. you look at across the country, how many little shady places out in the middle of nowhere are there? And, you know, you see some girl who's obviously not from the United States. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't have sex workers visas, so somehow – you know, she's gotten there. Um, and, and we do see international trafficking where, you know, women are brought over, particularly from Eastern Europe and Thailand, and put into situations like this. So I have to imagine that it happens on a, on a larger scale than we think. 
um, but we're we're not paying close enough attention to actually do something about it. No, I mean I'll give you another example that I, I that I was actually surprised by, and I'm a guy who's, who's traveled around the world quite a bit. I taught a course in Dubai last year. It was around November, and we went to a couple of nice clubs where the there's kind of like a two worlds there. There's there are people that are Islamic and from there or from the Middle East where they hang out, and then there's people where there's places where the Westerners hang out, bars, clubs. And I'm talking about just regular clubs, not strip clubs, dance clubs, things like that. And anyway, right. you go to a nice lounge to have a drink, and it is prostitutes everywhere in there. I mean, just yeah. prolific. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe it's this out in the open because this is supposedly an Islamic country where if you go to a shopping mall in Dubai, there's a sign outside that tells women, make sure your skirts are below your knees and that your shoulders are covered. But then when you yeah. walk inside, no one, they're not enforcing it because there's girls walking around in short shorts like any mall in the world. So it's kind of yeah. like almost like a joke. It's like we're going to say that these are our Islamic values, but at the same time, we'll just turn a little blind eye to what you guys want to do. And I asked, a buddy of mine, yeah. I asked a buddy of mine, like, how are these prostitutes able to be so blatant in a country like this? I mean, it was obvious right. that they were prostitutes looking for clients. And he told, I go, do these women get arrested? And he's like, no, they'll never get arrested because they're sponsored by a guy who's from Dubai. And that's why, and they're just left alone. So in Dubai, there's basically, okay, if you want to meet Asian prostitutes, go to this hotel. If you want to meet black women, go here. If you want to meet blonde girls, go here. And it's hard for a lot of women from Europe, especially Eastern Europe, to visit Dubai because they think they're coming in there for that purpose or to be, or to try to marry a prince or something like that. Right, right. I I think it's it's what we call superficial modesty. I think it's where... Right. You know, we put up a veneer that we have, you know, these high expectations, but there's all this low life activity going on that, that you know, is obviously not true. I, I think one of the biggest problems also is what both of you guys hit the nail on the head earlier is that I think a lot of people feel, you know, as long as it's not my daughter or my wife or my sister or my niece or whatever it is, then it's not my problem. You know, that's someone else's problem. And also, in, in taking it one step further, it's as long as as long as nothing's happened to them, it's okay for that individual to go be abusive to other people's daughters, wives, sisters. You know that level of hypocrisy seems to be pretty prominent. So I mean, yeah. that that to me seems to be one of the larger problems with this whole thing is how people rationalize this in their own mind, saying, "Well, you know, I don't want that to happen to my daughter or, or sister or wife, but." it's okay for me to do that to someone else's or it's okay that it's the fact that that's happening, that's someone else's problem. And then there's also the problem. It's kind of, I call it the kind of the ugly American attitude of, well, we got our own problems to deal with. You know, that's, that's China's problem or India's problem or Philippines. We got to focus on our own problems, which, and I hate that attitude. It's such a stupid attitude because I look at problems as a globe. We're, we're all human beings. Okay. So if there's a human suffering anywhere, it's everyone's problem. It's not, Absolutely. it's not about like, I'm an American, so I only care about Americans, or I'm from Las Vegas, I'm only going to help people in Las Vegas. It's so stupid, that attitude. Yeah. Because it, any it's problem always anywhere is It's a always problem. funny when I hear someone say that, Mike, is like, you know, yeah. we've got our own problems here at home. I'm like, well, if you're going to have that attitude, well, instead of just trying to, what are you doing here at home? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? Exactly. So, so if you're going to talk about we've got our own problems here at home, make sure the home you're talking about is your individual self. Okay, right, so... Right. So trust me, if you were taking care of problems at home, then you would not turn a blind eye to all the other stuff going on in the world because that should be hitting home for you, you know, as a human yeah. being. 
It's not an American yeah. problem, not a Chinese problem. It's not a, you know, a Cambodian problem. It's a human problem. And if you're right. a human, what are you doing? Right. You know, yeah. How can you help? Yeah. No, James, I'm really, well, I'm really curious more about how, I mean, what, what do you think made you different than so many people where you and your wife watched this show on, on MS and is it MS? What was it on? It was, it was yeah, on yeah. Dateline. It was on Dateline. Okay. So you two watched this show. And a light goes off. A switch is flipped where your life, your life is literally not the same again. So you are compelled to do something about this to the point where you sell your house, you sell your cars, you sell all of your luxuries and move to another country. Bam, just like that. I mean, that, that's an amazing story in and of itself right there, that level of action. Because so many people don't even do anything close to that. Forget about doing that. You know, they, they won't even make a donation to an organization or, or look into the problem locally. And I'm not, I'm not judging those people who don't do that because I understand how easy it is to just watch the news and say, oh, that's terrible, and then just get back to the problems you have in your own life. But what do you think made you different than the average person who just watches this stuff and it doesn't really affect them in a profound way at all? Exactly. I was about to say, it's not like you had a child that was abused or, yeah, you know, exactly. So, exactly. It's not, so it wasn't like what we were talking about earlier where, you know, you have the person who turned a blind eye until it happened to them personally, then they became an advocate for the situation. So it's totally different for you. So, how, you know, like what, like Mike said, what prompted you to like, okay, we got to do this. You know, I think when we first got married, um, we were, we were living in North Carolina. I was in, I was in the Marine Corps, I spent eight years as a, as a Marine. And, um, we were living on this, on this Marine base, and we were involved with a community that um, things were going on with people. People needed help. And, you know, it was parents struggling with a difficult teenager. It was the wife whose husband was going to jail, and she didn't know what she was going to do. And there was a lot of talk about, oh, you know, we should really help so-and-so. We should really do something. We should really try to and, – and, I get tired of, of talk. My, my dad had raised me with the, the motto that you do what has to be done. And so my wife and I started having this discussion about, like, what do we do? And so really early on in our marriage, um, we started taking in at-risk teenagers into our house. It, we, we, just, we just did it. it was, um, the, the first one was a, a friend of mine that I had worked out with. His daughter uh, was having problems, and he was going to prison for burglary. And... Um, so we, took, we just took her. We took her into the house, um, got custody of her, put her into high school, and started just helping create a community where we could love her and help her through the rest of her teenage years. And we did that with five teenagers. And I think we just started setting this precedent that you, you have to do things, not talk about things. And my wife and I just became people of action. And I think it's by taking little steps. And I, I would say to anyone listening to this podcast, like, it's really easy to look at our situation and go, they watch the TV special and then they change their entire life. And that's true, but it's not the, the truth. And I, I think you start with small steps of actually taking action in your life. And I liked what Sincere said, start at home, start, start with your home, make a difference there, and then start talking as a family, like, what do, what do we want to do? What do we want? Maybe it's Venezuela or, you know, maybe it's Houston, but right. pick, pick somewhere to start making an impact, whether you're making donations or, or writing support letters or promoting them. You know, I don't, I don't know. I think as a family, you've got to determine what you want to do, but get a vision for, for where you want to go with, with your marriage, with your, with your children and how you're raising them and start taking small steps. And, and I think those lead to big steps. 
um, because those incremental things were what for us made this cliff jump to creating transitions global a reality um, as opposed to, you know, just like one day we're living this sloppy life and then we wake up one morning, watch a TV special and move. Um, it's, it's the little things that we do that incrementally lead us to making huge, more grand steps. How, how has your standard of living been affected in terms of you used to have this lucrative job and fancy cars, nice house? How, how is your standard of living now, having since run this organization? It's a lot different. <laughs> my, wife, <laughs> my wife and I are basically transient. So um, right. you know, we, have a, we have a place in Cincinnati we call the dollhouse. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I can, I can uh, touch the ceiling and you can walk the entire house in less than 1.2 seconds. Um, and um, in here in Cambodia, we, um, we live in a, I'm actually sitting in here right now for this conversation in a 12 by 12 room. Um, and we own very little and we're continuing to scale back our lives. So the, the difference is that I feel like I'm living more of life. Yeah, and, and own own less as opposed to the things that what does a uh, Tyler Durden say in the uh, Fight Club like the yeah, things yeah, yeah. you own, own you own you yeah yeah yeah, I love, you, that. yeah. I love that movie is do you yeah. do you miss do you miss any of the luxuries at all do you miss a nice car or fancy house or any of that stuff Nah, nah. I mean it, there's there's times in life I I could really use a great vacation but outside right. of that um, very little of that means anything to me. I certainly have an appreciation for, for nice things. And yeah. I certainly love a, love a nice glass of wine and, and the finer things in life. But I, I think I found that, um, my relationship with my wife, my kids, my, my friends become more important. Um, and looking at the things that we're doing in life really become your life's mission to make a difference in people's lives, make an impact, see their lives change. That, that becomes your highest value. Sounds like it's become an addiction for you in the best way possible. Meaning that, like you said, you started off with these incremental steps and then you started making some more moves and then you started making bigger moves and now you have this much larger organization which is affecting the lives of others in a positive manner on a much larger scale. It, it must, there must, it, it, to me, it sounds like it, it's very addictive for you. Like you get a rush out of this whole thing. I, I think you have to be a certain person to do this kind of work. I, I think right. that's what a lot of people don't, don't think about is um, my wife and I don't experience stress the way most people experience stress. We're used mm-hmm. to being able to sit in kind of this hot combat zone with bullets flying around and, and still be able to keep our calm and, and our bearing. Yeah. And, um, and it's not for most people. So in, in one sense, yeah, it becomes kind of your entire life and, and it becomes the stimulus and response that drives you to do, do more, do better, um, look constantly looking forward for ways that you can help more people. I think so many people just feel lost in life and have mild depression or even more serious depression. And it's because they're so focused inwardly on themselves. Mm. They're so self-absorbed. That, that in itself is depressing. Me even just saying that yeah. is depressing. I, yeah. think, I think the solution is to so many problems in life is something like the example you and your wife and your kids have said, where you just focus on doing as much good for others as possible. I think it's impossible to be depressed when you're doing that because you're no. just putting so much good energy into things that you know are making a positive impact. I mean, I, I don't see how you could be I – mean, you might be – kind of down about some of the, I mean, I'm sure you hear some of these girls' stories and you're just like, God, this is terrible. But at the same time, you're, you're out there in the field empowering 
yourself and them. You're not sitting at home watching it about it on TV going, oh, boy, that was terrible. That's stressful, too. Like you said, you're a, you're a guy who likes to take action. I think people will just sit around and talk about all the world's problems. That's stressful to even listen to. It's stressful to do because yeah. you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything that's making any difference. I always hate hearing people talk about politics. Well, Obama needs to do this and Bush needs to do this. I mean, I hate that stuff because it's like, well, what are you doing as an individual? Right. You're not doing anything. And, Mike, that's why I got to kind of, you know, I, I, I see it differently. You know, I feel like they're not being self-absorbed because most of the time they're focused on what everyone's going to think about them, putting on these images or what this so-called life should look like which has yeah. nothing to do with them whatsoever. If they were self-absorbed, they would find more meaning in their life. They wouldn't yeah. have to worry about the car, the house, the job, or, you know, the yeah. politics and so putting the blame on someone else. You know, no, that's so a good point. like people are not self-absorbed enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very yeah. Good point. well, I, th- I, think, I think you guys are hitting on a good point, which is and maybe, it's, maybe the word is not self-absorbed. It's more self-aware. Right, right. You know, I hear you guys talking a lot about, you know, fitness and people, you know, posting their workouts on, on Facebook and all that is that we're, we're constantly looking for the approval of other people yeah, and, exactly. and we're not looking at the purpose for doing it. You know, like, are, are you fit because you have a life to live and, and you want, you want your physical and, and mental and emotional health so you can do more in the world? Or are you just working out so you can please other people and get right. their, their approval. Now, I've always felt that the most beneficial aspect of working out is if you can take the lessons you learn from intense physical training and apply it elsewhere. So the, the, dis- the discipline, the ability to tolerate discomfort or even pain, and that makes you learn a lot about yourself when you go through yeah, very intense physical again. training. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know what, if I can handle this, you know, what other parts of my life can I take charge of? What else can I take charge of? What else can I get into? Because that, that to me is the greatest benefit of physical training and what I've always tried to get out there from day one. You know, that's what my whole motto, live life aggressively, is all about. It's not about being a bully or trying to and assert yourself over others. It's, it's about taking charge of your life in a very yeah. intense manner and living fully. And I think when, when you learn a lot about yourself through intense training – the greatest benefit is applying it elsewhere. I think the mistake a lot of people make, though, is that they are a chump in every aspect of their life except when they work out. So instead of improving those areas, what they do is just start working out more. It's like, well, I'm just going to work out three hours a day because that's the only time I ever feel good or empowered. And instead of taking the lessons from physical training and apply it elsewhere, now they become addicted to the stimulus of training because that's the only time they feel good. I mean, I've had people tell me, God, I wouldn't be able to tolerate my job if it wasn't for me getting my workouts in. I go, well, you know what? You should probably take a month off from working out. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah. I go, because it's time to quit that fucking job, dude. Exactly. It's, not time, yeah. it's not time to work out and distract yourself so that you can tolerate your dipshit boss in a job you can't stand. It's time to use the physical strength you have to take charge because one thing about me when I was in the corporate world, and I'm, and I'm not a guy who goes out there looking for trouble and so forth at all, but from all the physical training and just empowering yourself and feeling strong and fit and confident, when you dealt with those, those managers who try to belittle you and intimidate you, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know what? I could pick up this guy and throw him out that window right now. So why should I be even remotely scared of them? And that's not, that may sound a little crazy, but in the back of my mind, it was like, the worst thing that's going to happen here is you're going to fire me. So what? 
I'll get another job or I'll go do my own thing. It's probably going to be in my benefit that you fire me. In and fact, you'll still be a loser. Yeah, you the, know, last, the last job I had before I got into what I do now was me getting fired. And guess what happened? I went into something I love, what I do now. So that was actually the best thing he could have done for me is fire me because I may, I may have wasted a few more years just trucking along in that job otherwise. Yeah, you know? yeah man. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's time for folks like that to find another job, you know? You're, exactly. If you're not miserable. Yeah. You're going to be the gym so much, once you get a job at the gym. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's not, I mean, exactly. people don't realize how if you hate what you do for a living, it's no way you're going to be happy in life. It's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so much of your life is on your career. So this whole mentality of living for the weekends, oh, I can't wait till Friday <laughs> – you know, I, I don't understand that mentality anymore because for the last 11 years, Monday is no different to me than Friday, Saturday. It doesn't make any difference to me because I set my own schedule. I love what I do. I work most weekends, not because I'm a workaholic, because I like what I do. It's not like I'm like, oh, God, it's Saturday and I'm working. I'm such a loser. It's like, no, I, I like what I'm doing. To me, the, the yeah. losers are the people who have to go to the bar every Friday night and, and get wasted to make it through yeah. another week of a job they hate. So I think I – think, well, and I hear stories like yours. I mean, I, I just get excited because, I mean, you're a guy that, I mean, we all hear about stuff like that, but it's not people we know or people we ever meet. But when we were talking before we started recording and you were telling me the whole story of how you and your wife saw that show and it's like a switch went off. If you flipped the switch in, you were never the same after that. Now, you, you had certain behavior patterns that made you more likely to actually do something with that. But still, a lot, of, a lot of people just don't do anything, no matter, no matter how compelled they feel, because it's just hard. They, they just say, you know what, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to move away from home. This is where I grew up. I don't want to go to another country and so forth. But I think the reality is, is that not everyone has to do what you did to make a difference. And that's where I'm kind of coming towards is what do you think just regular people can do who are not willing to take it to the level that you took it, but, but they're listening to this podcast and going, you know what? I, I want to help out James efforts or someone else's efforts that are doing this. What can I do to make a difference? Yeah. You know, and actually you were just to tie back into what you were saying about, you know, people's work environments. Like not all of us get to get to do what we, we love for a job. Like I'd, right. I'd imagine there's probably trash collectors that probably don't feel fulfillment in their daily, daily <laughs> right. work schedule. But, but I think, but I think those are the people that really need to look at what are the other areas of my life that I need to enrich right. that, that make, make work feel like it's, it's work, but the rest of my life, something valuable. And I, um, you know, one of the things that I think people should do is, is take five minutes in, in over the period of a week, like five minutes a day, and work on their own sort of life vision statement. You know, like what is it that I want out of my life? Or like what means something to me? Because it could be, it, it, you know, it could be sex trafficking. It could be, you know, children with cancer. It could be, um, you know, uh, animals that have been, you know, are in rescues or, or right. some, some issue that's critically important to them. And, and I'd say start figuring out how they want to get engaged. Like start putting together action steps. Cause oftentimes we have really great intentions, good ideas, but we never really act on them. And I, I think right. it's knowing, you know, wh what is it about me that I, I want to be engaged in? I, I, you know, I loved reading your story that you, you know, you uh, took the proceeds from your book to help, you know, veterans coming back. What a critical issue. Um, Thank you. Obviously that didn't just come out of, out of nowhere. You, you intentionally sat down and said, this means something to me. What can I do to make a difference? Um, exactly. And I think people have to have to really sit back and say, what's important to me? How do I want to be involved? 
um, you know, the, the work that we do at Transitions is critical. It depends on, on folks getting engaged and involved. Uh, if people want to get involved with Transitions Global, we'd love for them to go to our website. And um, you know, they can actually sponsor girls on our website. They can donate to the work that we're doing, um, get engaged on social media. But um, oh, you know, I'm sorry, say, James. James, just real quick. What is the website? Yeah. The website is transitionsglobal.org. Okay. Transitionsglobal.org. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to tell you yeah. right now. I'm. Def, I'm definitely making a donation tonight. Yeah, I can believe that yeah. right now. And also, one of the organizations that I was donating proceeds to in my book, they're actually in limbo right now, restructuring and so forth. The Wounded Warriors one. So I'm oh, actually. Wow. I've actually been looking for another organization to donate proceeds from my book sales to. So I'm going to start donating some of the proceeds from my book to your organization. So I'm going to. Well, thanks. But what, what I do? Yeah. I, Thank you. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I mean, believe me, this is the least I can do. And so I, basically, I take 50% of the, I take 50%, and I, I'll split that between two organizations that I'm really into. Yours is definitely going to be one of them. So if that's one way. If people want to help your organization and get my book at the same time, that's one way to do it. But honestly, I'd rather have people just donate to you directly. So I mean, if you want to, okay. if you like what you, you know, let let's get all the money to James directly. So I mean, I think this is a very important issue and. Everything counts, right? I mean, whether someone do- – I mean, if, if we got 10,000 people to donate $5, that's a lot of money that's being raised. It, would do, it really would do a lot for us as an organization. It really, yeah. really would. It would impact and, – and one of the things I've heard you guys talk about in, in charities is, is the impact that they're making versus uh, you know, paying executive salaries. And we take right. very seriously right. the work we do. So the, the money that people donate, it goes to making sure that these girls get the help that they need. Yeah, that, that's why I asked you that question. It was kind of a, a canned question there, just because I was curious, you know, how, and, I, and I expected you to answer it the way you did, you know. That, that, but I, but I wanted people to hear that because was sincere, sincere and I did bring that up previously. That a lot of organizations you have the top three people are making five hundred thousand a year each, and they have like a billion dollars in assets that's just sitting there. It's not even being, it's not even yeah. in the field. So I think, I think I think that's a lot of I think that's one of the issues that a lot of people have too is you know I want to donate money to an organization but I don't want to waste it if it's not going to go to actually help anyone if it's just going to someone's trust fund or their vacation or their fancy dinners and so forth then I'd rather just keep the money for myself so I, I think that's a valid argument that a lot of people have also is that none of us want to feel like we're just being fooled you know hoodwinked like we're oh I donated a thousand bucks to this organization and maybe five cents of it went to actually help someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I well, think it's, uh, go ahead. Y- y- yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, people don't give a donation to get a tax deduction because quite frankly, right. you and I know right. it really doesn't make a big, no, big bit of difference. No, no, no. People, people give money because they want to invest in change. They, yeah. they want their money to make a difference in someone's life. And I, uh, I, I really, I loved what you guys are saying because I, I think we just have a lot of folks that are uneducated they, they give money to something because it's trendy. They don't really understand what they're giving to. Um, and I really encourage people to take a look at um, – there's a great website called guidestar.org that will give you a ton of information about charities, uh, regardless of the charity's uh, financial income, that really let people see a profile, mm-hmm. um, as well as like word-of-mouth um, uh, testimonials from people that have actually seen the work so that people get a sense of the integrity of an organization they're giving to. Because that, that's why people donate. They, they want to feel good that, that their resources are going towards changing you know, the lives of you know, people, animals, or issues. Right. right, exactly. James, when someone makes a donation, let's say I go on your website and I sponsor a young lady today, 
And how, what, what exactly is the money going to, to help that individual out? Yeah, so the, through the sponsorship program we set up specifically so that all of the money actually goes right into the girl's direct care. So that pays for um, her medical checkups, her vaccinations, her dental care, her clothes, um, her food, um, therapy, stuff that she's going to need, educational supplies, school uniforms, uh, vocational training, um, and any other services, like even cultural outings. So we do all kinds of you know, fun events throughout the year. So all of the money in the sponsorship program goes directly into the Girls Direct Care uh, program. That's fantastic. Very nice. I mean, it's, it's just so inspiring talking to you. I mean, I feel like I need to go do something you know, right now. Yeah, I feel like, like I, need, I need to go hug a kid or something. I mean, it's just really cool to talk to people like you that are making such an impactful difference in the world because a lot of us don't have that access. We don't meet people like that on a day-to-day basis. We, we hear about it in the news, but that's too far. You know, we don't, we don't, it's almost like those people are imaginary. It's like, oh, I heard about right. this guy on CNN, but we don't even know if that person exists because we've never met that person. You know, it's not someone we know. So I, th- I think for a lot of people, it's so abstract that it, it, it's, it's great to hear someone like your story, like what you and your wife have done and the effect it's had on your kids. I, I think you're, you're a real genuine hero, James. I mean, I feel like what you're doing is incredible work. I mean, you should be getting... It's, it's guys like you and people like your wife that should be getting VIP treatment when they come to a town like Las Vegas. You know what I mean? You should, you should be the guy that goes to a nice restaurant where people are like, you know what that guy does? Let's, let's pay for the meal tonight. Let, let's take right. him out to a, a nice club dinner evening. Let's give him a free hotel when he comes to visit and so forth. Yeah, so, I mean, thanks, if, Mike. Those are kind if, words. if you two are ever in town in Vegas, I'm going to make sure you get that royal treatment. So I give you my word All on right. that. You guys are ever, like you said, no, you said you need a vacation. Believe me, if you guys ever come through here, I'm going to make sure you're in a nice hotel and, and get a great trip. That's for sure. All right. All right. I'll, I, I will definitely take you up on that. I can't remember the last time I was in Vegas. <laughs> James, uh, real quick, can you just give us your website name again? And yeah. We'll... Absolutely. Uh, people can visit us at transitionsglobal.org. Oh, fantastic. Again, thank, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you, man. Really thank, you. Thanks for having me, guys. Great it was a real story. pleasure talking to you. No, it's been, it's been, uh, you've given us a lot of food for thought. There's just the final thing I'll leave you. I know you've got to go. You've got a lot of things to do. But I'm curious, you're, you're someone who's actually very into kettlebell training, physical fitness. What, what role does that play in everything you're trying to do? Is, how, do you, how do you feel that supports your efforts in the field? Yeah. Well, one, I mean, I'm in my forties and uh-huh. I think it's, I think it's critical that, um, that keeping your physical health and your emotional health are, are extremely important to me being able to do the work that I'm doing. Right. So, um, for me, keeping myself in shape is not just about the aesthetic. It's, it's really about kind of a critical element to being really balanced. Um, I've, I've paid a lot of attention to the hormone optimization stuff you've been talking about, and, and seeing how that's impacting my overall life performance, um, you know, keeping myself from feeling overly stressed, you know, that whole cortisol um, uh, response. Um, but it also just gives me a sense of, of feeling strong. Um, I've got a lot of travel. I spend a lot of time in airports and, and airplanes um, without feeling physically strong. I just get worn out and it's going to ultimately hurt my performance. Um, second is it helps me really deal with a lot of the day-to-day stressors. Um, you know, really good workout and and things just seem to feel a lot um, 
a lot more simple and, and easy to, to deal with. So it's had an enormous impact on my life. And, and um, kettlebells, oddly, are a much easier thing to try to travel with than going from, you know, gym to gym. So it's been, um, it's had a tremendous impact. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I guess I just got cut off while you were saying all that, but I'm sure, I'm sure it was, I'm sure, I'm sure it was good info. I'll have to go back and listen to what you said. You know, after all, like, after all of it, like Sincere and I have the, the weakest line and yours is the one that's cut out. I know, I know. Two times. I'm getting, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to every word you're saying all of a sudden, Oh, it's just going dead, and I, I don't want to interrupt you by saying, hello, hello, what's going on? Stop just being quiet, and then, of course, I look at my computer, and call did drop. Oh, boy, we got, we got, I, I got to figure out an angle of this one so that doesn't keep happening. But uh, thanks, thanks again, James. Really appreciate it. Well, we're definitely going to get the word out about your organization. We'd love to have you come back anytime you want to, to keep spreading Absolutely. the word, but just, just keep up the great work. If you guys work are ever in Southeast Asia, please give us a ring. Let us know. We'd love to show you what we're doing over here. I'd love to. I'd love to. I wouldn't mind making a trip out there just for that purpose, yeah, I honestly. I know my wife is already saying that you know within the next year we have to go to Thailand. So hey, we'll be somewhat Good. in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're a 50, fifty minute flight away. So. Oh, there you go. Yep, yep. So uh, keep keep us in mind. We'd we'd love to see you guys out here. Thanks again, awesome. James. Appreciate it. All right, all right, gentlemen. Have a good day. You too. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. And that's our friend James Pond and what what a winner that guy is I yeah, mean I, I, I'm really I'm, I'm almost just in awe right now I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what's, I'm so what's, inspired what's crazy day. right now it is like where I am right now it's about one in the morning and I'm sitting there like hyped I'm like all right I need right. To something something's got to happen we got to get yeah. it up but you know I'm, I'm actually here on on the website you know and sponsoring one of the girls on the site right now yeah, um, I'm going to do that myself. I'm going to get on the trend. Again, folks, transitionsglobal.org. Check it out. Now, I'm definitely going on there and making a donation. And I'm not saying that just to get some people to send me an email and say, oh, what a great guy you are. No, I'm just saying no. that. So I'm just saying that so that I'm leading by example. I'm not asking you guys to do anything that I'm not willing to do is my point. Exactly. I'm, so I'm, not saying, I'm not saying go make a donation and then I'm kicking back not doing anything. <laughs> All right. That's the whole <laughs> point of that. But, I mean, what a winner that guy is. I mean, that that's giving me so much food for thought on, on so many different topics uh, yeah. and had me kind of reevaluate a lot of things that I thought about. Actually, honestly, uh, you know, I never, I never really looked at gentlemen's clubs as anything, but yeah, it's just, just a frivolous thing. You know, it's just guys right. going in there having a little fun, no big thing. And, and now I'm thinking, I'm not thinking about that at all. Now I'm just like, man, I, I'm never going to go to one of those places again. I don't want right. to be in that place. I don't want to support that environment or, or anything even close to it. Now that's kind of, it's no longer something where, I'm looking at it like as a casual thing, like, ah, it's no big deal. You go every once in a while, it's not a big thing. It's like, no, nah, that's, that's, that's not the way to look at it at all. So he's, he's definitely, and that's just one of many things that he get, he's given me a lot of food for thought to think about. Definitely, man. And I don't know, man, it's just, just situations like this, especially when you're a parent, you know, a father, and you have a daughter, because you always think like, man, what if somebody were to do that? You know, what if that would have happened to my child? Right. And so it's not about, it's not about like what we're saying. It's not like, well, it's not my kid, so I'm not worried about it. No, my thing is, what if? Yeah. You know, so yeah. because the thing is, if we perpetuate this, this industry, you know, then that what if is a possibility now. Well, the thing about, the thing that's crazy about people is that it, it doesn't take long for something to become normal and acceptable. So like right now, it's like, oh, this human trafficking stuff is terrible. But if nothing is done about it, to nip it in the butt it'll now, be the new normal. yeah, then all of a sudden in 10 years, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I go to the, 
I go down the street every once in a while and do this and that. And it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, those, those people aren't, they're not Americans. So who cares what happened to them? Or like, they're not my friends or family. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear a guy, guy say stuff like, uh, you know, just don't, just don't, if you're going to, don't, don't hook up with a girl if, if her boyfriend is a friend of yours or her husband's a friend of yours. Otherwise, it's okay. You ever hear an idiot say that? Oh, you yeah. Know, well, no, there's, there's that, code. There's yeah, 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 exactly. That's, that's supposed to be like some stupid code, like a morality. It's like, no, it's okay for you to hook up with a married woman as long as you don't know the guy. Like that kind of attitude. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we laugh at stuff like that, but that, that's kind of like that first little step down that dark road, yeah. right? You know what so I mean? And then all, you become more and more comfortable with that. It's only a matter of time before your buddy's girl starts, you know, catching your attention. You're like, well, you know, I wonder how far can I go with this? I wonder if right. she's down for that. And next thing right. you know, you betrayed your friend. And it's a, it's a hot mess, it's, <laughs> but it all it's, started it's with the code. That, it's, it's an important thing for a lot of men to address, and, uh, and I'll, I'll say this because you know, a, lot, a lot of women don't get it when – a lot of women don't get how intoxicating it is for men to get attention from other women. And what I mean by that is mm-hmm. you know, if, you're, if you're even an average-looking girl, you're going to walk around and get hit on all the time. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you're a good-looking girl, it's going to happen all the time. Now – even a good-looking guy is not going to just walk around and get hit on every five seconds by women. You may have women turning their heads, this, that, and so forth. So when, when a guy has never had any attention from women for whatever reason, maybe he was a dork in high school, you know, maybe he was a dipshit in college, and then all of a sudden he's had some level of success, whatever it is. And all of a sudden now he's getting all this attention from women and so forth, and he doesn't behave in the best manner possible, and then we're all very judgmental. Now, I'm not saying that that's not warranted to some degree. But a, a large part of that is, is that he was never trained on how to handle any of that stuff. Right. You know, it all goes back to, you know, train everything you do in life, you have to have training for, you know, whether it's working out or competing in something, you know, whatever it is. And a lot of things we're, we're just kind of left to figure out on our own. And that's one of those things. So just, yeah. there's, no, there's no real rite of passage where men are being taught, like, look, you know, you're about to become successful now. This is what's going to start happening. And this is what you may start doing because you feel justified doing it. And, you know, this is why you don't want to go down that path. No one's really having that honest conversation with you. Yeah. So it's, you're kind of left out there to figure that out on your own. And I'm not saying that – I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just, I'm just saying things the way they are. I'm just giving some brutal realities. So I, I think, I, I think it, it goes back to what James is saying. We, we all need to take charge. Look at ourselves, number one. It's like, you know, think mm-hmm. about what you do that you thought maybe was acceptable, and maybe now after hearing this call, you're like, you know what? That never really was acceptable. I never really looked at it that way. And then right. start making the change there. You know, you and don't and, have that, and that's that. all that matters right there. You know, not yeah. to sit and harp on what you used to do. Or, yeah, you know, exactly. even, even, if, even if you just left the strip club, got home, <laughs> it's 3 in the morning, and you <laughs> just turn on this podcast. You're listening to it in the car on the way home right now. <laughs> exactly. So it's just like it's not about what you just, just did. It's about what, you, what, what are you going to do now? Right, like, exactly. What are you going to do right now? Because guess what? What you did is done. You can't, you know, there's nothing you can change about that, but you can change right now. Yeah. So. And I'm not judging people one way or the other. You know, that's for each person to decide themselves. We're, we're just sharing blatant opinions, conversations, et cetera. You know, the whole point of this podcast is to provoke thought. I'm not trying to make a – I don't want to make these sweeping Moral judgments. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, if you go to you have to live your life. You know? Yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, some things are obviously wrong no matter what. Like the, these girls being abused, there's no way to justify that, okay? So that's, exactly. that's a black and white issue. Now, if you're, that, if you're that person that's listening and you're that person, well, first of all, you absolutely positively suck. 
Yeah, you okay. shouldn't even be and Honestly, I'm we don't want you to listen to the show. To this yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> stop listening to our show and just go hang yourself, you know? Yeah, I, I, I would be insulted that somehow that person has found my message appealing in any way, you know, or, and your <laughs> message too. It's like, what am I putting out there that such a person even finds it appealing? Exactly. Like, like you know, the fact that he's comfortable enough to listen to the, these last couple of hours and, and I'm like, what, what do you feel like, you know, we used to have some kind of connection to the three of us that you can stay on here. <laughs> you know, like, dude, we're not the same. There's nothing about you <laughs> that we like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th- I think it really starts with evaluating yourself, that self-analysis, self-awareness, yeah. James and you, and you were talking about, and then kind of looking at and then building it out from there. Yeah, look, look at those around you. Look at the company that you keep. You know, you may have to take, you know, take some, some inventory of what's right. going on around you because no matter what we try to say as individuals, we are the company that we keep. Like attracts like. That opposite attracts thing is so stupid to me. It, isn't it? It's the dumbest thing ever. I'm, never, I'm like, no, because trust me, the last thing I want is the, someone that's the opposite of who I am. Right. That's just not going to work. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, you have a certain value system, and so do I. Exactly. So why would I why would I want to be with someone who's the opposite of that? You know, exactly. and I'm not even talking relationships, like friends too. It's like why would I want to hang out with people that are the opposite of that? That that's not doing me any benefit. It's not doing not anyone any benefit. Exactly. I mean, like Fifty Cent said in his book, I've been. It's called the Fiftieth Law with Robert Greene, and it's a really good book. And he was talking yeah. about how, and some people might be like, oh, it's kind of ironic you're bringing up Fifty Cent. Isn't he in some domestic abuse situation on TV? Well, I don't know anything about that. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I mean, I, I only know because the guy that I was talking to when I was walking my dog was telling me, I don't watch the news. I don't have TV and I don't watch the news. So, I mean, this guy, when I want to know about the news, there's a guy I, wa- I run into. His name is Alan. Whenever I walk my dog, and he kind of gives me the lowdown. He's like, hey, did you hear oh, about he's this? That, he's that neighbor. Yeah, he's that guy. I'm like, hey, did you hear about this? I'm like, nope. Why don't you tell me about it? Did you hear about this? Nope. What'd you tell me about it? It's like, thanks a lot, buddy. I got to know my news for the week. You know? I think, I think somebody, hey, Mike, I have to tell you, I think somebody got their change mixed up. I think they meant Chad Ochocinco. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think exactly. they're about 35 cents short when they talk about this. Well, you know, you know how people are. One black guy, another black guy. I know. It's like, hey, you know, athlete, <laughs> entertainer. Francisco, rappers, football players, it's all the same. You know, they're named after money, you know. <laughs> no, but, it, but in this book, there's a chapter where, where both of them talk about how it is critical that the people you hang out with are all people that are trying to be driven like you, you know, success, positive, driven people. And you don't want to let anyone in your life that doesn't fall into that category because it's going to impact – your quality of life in a negative manner. And yeah. that doesn't mean that maybe someone's going through a rough spell and you're trying to help them out and you're saying, you know what, I can't help this person out anymore because it might hurt me. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you want to surround yourself as much as possible with people that are very success-driven, positive people working on making just, just healthy people on multiple levels is where I'm going because you're not going to beat that one guy's success. You have five friends that are losers and you're going to be the one person who's not pleased. Not happening. You're gonna be you're gonna be loser number six. Okay. <laughs> you probably already are. You don't even realize it. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's always funny. You know, I always heard like you know, if you want to see like pretty much just the value of like the people around you, whatever, or just like where you're going. Look at like the last five phone calls that you had. Okay. Yeah. And I and I always look at them like, okay, there was a client. There was a client. And okay, there's Mike. There's my wife. So okay, yeah. basically, I see my friends. I see my family, and I see those who like my services, you know, pretty much a kind of, there are no energy vampires on my call log. Okay. There's, no, there's no 900 numbers that you've made. 
you know, you're not calling the business Cleo and, tr- and trying to get a prediction of your future. Well, they still have them. They still use 900 numbers. Call me now for your free solid reading. Call a lady in Brooklyn with a bad Jamaican accent for your free party. <laughs> to the no. <laughs> I really, I don't, I can't imagine how someone is going to listen to this episode and not have it affect them in some way. I really can't imagine. Such even, a if it's not, even if it's not even supporting James' organization, yeah. something, this something. Has to light some type of fire under your ass. <laughs> you know? Because honestly, he's given me a lot of food for, I mean, I'm making some big transitions in my business right now, which I, I won't waste time getting into. I'll save it for another show, but He's, he's also made me, and, I, and I'm always looking for a charitable element, and just and not even just me donating money, but what I can do with my time, personally. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of been on my mind quite a bit recently. And, yeah, and you saw that. I just posted that on Twitter um, a couple of nights ago. You know, yeah. like, you know some of my favorite, you know, you know um, causes that I support. You know, I, I named a few. You know, a couple of them were local. And, um, yeah. and then there was the Wounded Warrior Project. And I was like, and I asked you, be like, you know, what's your, what's your favorite? You know, because, you know, I want people to think about that. It's like, you know, yeah. there's more going on in the world than just us. Yeah, there's some people that are going through some hard times or whatever. But you know what? Some of us know those people that are having hard times. Okay, there's a cause right there. What can you do right. to help? Even if you just right. go up and check, it, check on them, like, hey, you guys good? You need me to take you, go grab a bite to eat? You, you good? How's the kids? Nah, man. Okay. It's you need simple me to wash the clothes for you guys? Makes, yeah, exactly. You know? It's so many simple things that just make a big difference. I think that's also where people feel overwhelmed and they feel like if they're not making – a dramatic change to help someone, then that is worthless. But they don't realize how maybe a phone call or a visit or just a little bit of help with something. I mean, it makes it. You know what? It, it comes down to this. We all we all want we all want to feel that other people actually give a damn about our. Yeah, own we just life. want to be acknowledged no, and just know exactly. that. We don't we don't want to feel like you know what? No one cares about us and we're all on our own and that's it. You know, we, all of us want to feel like you know what? There's actually people out there who are concerned about my well-being, I'm concerned about their well-being. You know, that's just, that's just being a healthy person. We right just there. want to know that we matter somewhere. Yeah, you know, exactly. And exactly. not just being exploited for this, that, and the other, or, or ignored because of this, that, and the other. It's like, we just want to know that, hey, I'm here. Do you see me? Okay, and right. that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's something that simple is so complicated to folks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, it, it doesn't. It, it's just simple little steps. I, I like what James said. You know, it's a lot of simple little steps where he said that, you know, people listening to the show are going to think that he and his wife just watched the show and then the next day they're on a plane to Cambodia. It's <laughs> yeah. like no, they watched the show and then their brains started turning on. You know, what can we yeah. do? And it was several steps, and they talked to their kids, and then they figured out what the next move is, and then they started getting rid of worldly possessions and things like that. So it's not like they watched the show. And then the next day they and were they on booked, a plane. They booked the flight two hours later. They went on hot wire and booked the flight. <laughs> you know, that, that, that would be a little ridiculous. No, <laughs> but they, they thought this thing through, and then they, they put together an action plan and got their kids involved. And I, I, I was really impressed with what he was saying about his kids, actually, Oh, as my well. God, especially his son, man. Just what his Yeah, son I, I was so life. impressed wow. by that. I mean, I mean, I never hear stories like that. I mean, not very often anyway. I, I was so impressed with – the way his son said, I, I, if we're going to do this, I want to be a part of it. And then he was a part of it out there at 12 years old. Are you kidding me? At now 12 that years right old? There, yeah, that, is a testament, that is a testament to the parenting skills of him and his wife as well. Absolutely. And the type of environment that they created for those children as they were bringing them up as adults. 
As you yeah, said, raising adults. I was thinking about what flavor of fruit roll-ups are going to be at home when I get them to school. Okay? <laughs> now, I was thinking about what episode of, I don't know, Transformers or the A-Team was on that night. And that I was, was thinking about using my allowance to go buy the Thriller album, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I wasn't thinking. And, I, and I've, I've been exposed to some things as well. But at 12 years old, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking on that high level. When I started becoming a teenager, I started thinking of some things. But again nowhere near the, the level of maturity that James kids and were, uh, were, are doing. So, I mean, that, that was really impressive to hear, too. So, I mean, but that, that guy, to me, is a real winner, man. That guy's a hero. That's a guy who should be, like I said, he should be getting the royal treatment when he's walking around. You know, he should be like a celebrity where people see him and his wife, and they're like, man, you know who that is? Let's go get his autograph. That guy does this, that, and so forth. I mean, we, we have such a warped society, don't we? Where it's like you, you, you just – I mean, you could be a total idiot, and you're a reality TV star, and that's who people aspire to be like. You're a total fucking moron acting like an idiot on a show, and people are like, man, that's what I want to be. I want to yeah, be an idiot, know. too, and get paid yeah, a lot you of you know, money. I want to I make a sex tape so I can get a show on E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we, we give a fuck what these people are doing. I mean, I don't personally, and I know you don't, but a lot of people yeah. do. I'm like, God, what the hell is wrong with our society when that is going on? So, I mean... And, then, and I don't like complaining about it too much because then you start sounding like old man syndrome, like, oh, when I was a kid and this, that, and so forth. But, you know, you got, you got to call a spade a spade, man. You know, there's a lot yeah. of dumb things. Uh, but I think the most important thing to do is not focus on that. It's focus on what you can do, like what James did. I mean, the, the, what I really liked about his story is that he was compelled by something, and then he and his wife actually sat around and said, what can we do? What are we prepared to do now? Yep. Like that line from my favorite movie, The Untouchable. What are you prepared to do now? It's like, look, I'm about to die. This is where a Capone, this is where Capone's, uh, what's his name, the account is going to be. You know, what are you prepared to do now about it? <laughs> and I love that movie about how where Elliot Ness goes from this by-the-book uh, by book agent to by someone who's necessary. And yes, yes, folks, I realize this is a movie and not real-life adaption, okay? But still, there's, there's inspiration a there. And, and that goes back to what up. we talked about, like with James Campbell <laughs> yeah. and, and the whole yeah. thing about, you know, the power of myth. Okay, yeah. so let's get beyond the fact that, okay, it's a movie. Let's get past that. You know, what is the message that you can apply? That's, that's what these things are really there for. Yeah, exactly. uh, we'll put like That's, that's what a well-written movie is there for. You know, exactly. to give a more it's, – it's been in every fable, every story – even in, in, in the most religious books, there's a, common, there's a theme there. It's just like, what did you learn? How can you apply this to, who, you know, to the type of person that you are and your life? Okay. That could be one of the problems right now. With, is we're not getting inspiration from movies anymore because they suck. I mean, when's the last time you watched a movie where you were really inspired to do anything? I remember there was a time between about, let's say, you know, 1980 and 1986 where, I mean, you left the theater changed. I mean, you weren't even <laughs> the same person. You just saw a movie and you're like, whoa, I'm, I'm a different person now. You went on this emotional roller coaster ride, or something was different about you when you watched that. It affected you that deeply. And then you have the saw. Then you get to the saw generation. You know, where it's all about just how gory can I make this movie? Or Final Destination? How sensational can I make this and make it just so far fetched? How many car chases do we have here where that are just so outlandish? And how many moronic sex scenes can we have here, or action scenes that go on for forty-five minutes? And you don't leave inspired. If anything, you leave demoralized. You know, you're like, boy, that movie. I'm glad to get back to my regular well, life. That's you feel insulted. You're like, okay, yeah, that, was, yeah, exactly. that, that action scene was over the top. How stupid do they think that I am? You know, <laughs> I can actually believe that. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's like that question that James asked them and his wife, like, what are we prepared to do? And apparently they were prepared to do a lot. <laughs> because they, they went on to yeah. do a lot and still are in. And I love hearing stories like that, man. You know, we got to find more stories like that for the show because that's the kind of stuff that gets me amped up. You know, people have been asking us about, you know, when are you going to have a show where you talk about strength training and stuff like that? And, you know, we'll do that. But honestly, that, that's not what I'm inspired to, to have on the show. I don't, I don't care about having a, think a show where we look, talk about If you look on iTunes, if you look on Stitcher, Okay, yeah. if you look and see what categories this show falls under, okay, it's health, it's fitness, it's lifestyle, it's business, it's entertainment. Right. Okay. It never has ever have we ever said this is going to be a fitness podcast. Right. Okay. Because how limiting is it? First of all, we're not just fitness dudes. No. Never okay. have been. You know. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people know us from that world, but there's so much more to us. I mean, we're very three dimensional here, and. Yeah. I, if I was just in just fitness and nothing else, I would poke my eyes out with like plastic yeah, yeah. bottle caps from a water bottle. <laughs> how many times can you talk about how to put a program together? You know, how many times can we talk about when you should do, where you should do deadlift in your workout, or how to, how to organize upper body pressing with lower body pressing? You know, I mean, that stuff is all important. I, I love working out too, and that's a big component of my business. But I mean, we're not going to talk about that every episode. We talked about that last week. And we'll, we'll, we'll have people like Dan John on the show and, and other people that people have been asking about. But if, if you think this is going to be the strength and fitness show every week, this is the wrong show for you. Now, there's well, plenty you know of what? other people no, doing that. No, I take that back. No, no, it will be the strength and fitness show. But the thing is, if you think it's all about just your body and how yeah. physically fit exactly. you're going to be, you're dead wrong. No, you're gonna, exactly. we're going to talk about finding strength in other ways as well because you can't separate. This is going to be mind, body, and no, the right. whole package. What we did on this show is it doesn't get any more strength and fitness. Oh, that's that. that, that's. That's man. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't get any, I mean, how much strength do you have to have to watch a show, get inspired and then make a serious change? I mean, you sell your house, your car, your, all your worldly possessions and he basically you move to had another to throw country. fear out the effing window, man. Yes. Now, that's I'm sure there was some anxiety and fear there, but yeah. there was a point where he just had to say, you know what? F it. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, and, and let's see what happens. It's such a ballsy thing, but I mean, it's it's. Inspiring. I mean, that's why you and I are all hyped up right now. People can tell <laughs> listening to us. We're I mean, we're both pretty hyped up as it is. But I mean, after listening to James talk, I'm like, wow, this guy, he's inspiring me to to take a look at some stuff and figure out what else I can do to be more impactful. Not only doing right now, like so you, I, mean, I love you, it. You go you go through some transitions, you know, you know, with your company. I'm going through some transitions just with just yeah. a, a, quite a few things right now. Right. I mean, he, what right. he just I, what James just did for me, he just really. That's one of you know I'm you know I'm you know I'm big on meditation and you know yeah. I'm big on just being quiet and letting the answers come to me and it's just like right. what he did tonight is like this is something that's been on my mind all day long I need that definitive answer which I already knew the answer you just kind of right. like okay some people say you know give me a sign or whatever and just <laughs> listen to what yeah. he just said I'm like okay I get it I get yeah. it and yeah. you know what sincere run with it brother just do it throw it up against the wall and see you know if it sticks and if it doesn't so be it you know and trust me. No matter what we talk about here, there are going to be those times where you have to sit there. You'll question yourself, like, is this going to be the, the best possible move? You know, cause right. especially when there are others involved. You know, when it's just you, you know, that's what I want to say to people who are single or people, you know, who are by themselves or whatever. And when you have no excuse not to be out there having the best time of your life and really just, if something strikes your mind like, hey, I want to try that, 
just do it. You shouldn't even be trying anything. You should just do it because right. it's just you. You have no other people to really consider. You know, but right. when, you, when you have family, you have something like, wow. Okay, it's going to be like what James had to do. It's like him and his wife had to sit there and they had to talk about it. They didn't have to talk about it with the kids. Same thing here, you know. So you no, just but like, what's cool, though, is, is how he made his kids part of the decision-making process. Exactly. In other words, and you know, I think that's a big problem pay. with a lot of parents. They always yeah, want to they, tell the kids, yeah, he's being that hurt. Exactly. It wasn't like, guess what, kids? We're moving here tomorrow, We're going and, to that's, and that's that. It was like, no, how do you feel about this, and what do you think about this? And then these kids actually had a voice on what was going to happen there. I mean, possibly if, if both of his kids were like, no way, you know, we, we, can't, we can't do that. We're, we're going to be miserable if we do that. I'm sure that would have had an impact on whether they oh, make that decision. Let me tell you, you, know, you sit yeah. there with two, three kids, and, you know, these are three different personalities right here. And if right. they were not included in the process – what you're doing right now, you're setting yourself up for a whole slew of problems later on down the line. Yeah, they're going to be all resentful going over there now. It's going to be like, you know, screw my parents. They care more about this cause than me, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I think and because, I hear about that a lot they, from a lot of kids who are like, yeah, you know, children yeah. of missionaries and yeah. how much they hate it because they didn't have a choice, you know? Right, exactly. So, I mean, what a smart guy, man. I mean, I, I, I mean we could talk to that guy for hours. We've got to have him back on. Definitely. A couple episodes down the road, we'll definitely have him back on because uh, I'm definitely going to be keeping close tabs on what he's doing and what I can do to support him and yep. just get him back on to talk more about stuff because what a good conversation we had yeah. with him. So that was awesome. That was yeah, my that favorite. That definitely favorite was a conversation that needed to be heard, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's, it's, it's cool that we have the show where, you know, when I talked to you about putting the show together, this is the kind of stuff I was envisioning. It was a chance mm-hmm. for two guys who do real talk, who, who want to bring some really interesting conversations and issues to light. You know, we're both on the yeah. same page with that. And, and that, that, to me, is what I felt would be the power of this podcast. In episode, what would be, episode 10 now? 10. Yeah, the episode 10, we're, we're, we're right into what I was envisioning. I mean, this, this, to me, was by far the favorite show that we've done so far. It's probably going to be one of the favorite shows, if not the favorite, in the episodes to come. But it's almost hard to imagine going back to – you know, just talking about how to do Yonder stuff. Hold on. It's so funny. It's so funny you said that because I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, man, like, how are we going to talk yeah, this? I'm like, I'm, I'm having Oprah syndrome right now. I'm like, okay, who, next week, we're going to get excited about talking about how to do the perfect dragon flag. It's not, it's not going to be quite that easy. <laughs> and that stuff is all cool, too. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, we both love working out, but I'm, I'm just saying, I think, I think a switch has got off for me, too, after talking to James. And I was I was kind of figuring it would, to tell you the truth, man. To tell you the truth, I had a little bit of, not intimidation, a little bit of trepidation even going into this conversation because I knew it was going to have some kind of profound effect on me. And part of me was really excited about that, like I can't wait to get this guy on. And then I was thinking part of me is a little bit fearful of how it's going to impact me and what I'm going to do with that. But honestly, it's more exhilaration now than anything else. Now I'm like, you know what? This guy's giving me a lot of food for thought. And I'm excited. I'm excited about the idea of, of changing some things up and so forth. So it was cool, man. It was good for me, too. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, we're going to wrap up there, folks. And, you know, real quick, just we'll plug our websites real quick. Again, my website is MikeMahler.com. You guys know the coupon code LLA to get 10% off my supplements. So we're not going to go into great detail on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know Sincere's website and mm-hmm. newwarriortraining.com. Yep. yep. And, do you and have um, anything coming up or anything, any, any special promotions you're doing? Um, same thing, um, my bodyweight DVD, especially for you guys who are on the go out there and ladies too. Um, 30% off, 
the code is LLA. We keep it simple around here. Yep. And <laughs> other than that, got some certifications coming up. All that information is on the website just to keep this you know, nice and brief. The biggest thing is um, people keep your feedback coming. Reach out to us. Hit us up on Twitter at Mike Mahler or at Sincere Hogan. And hit us up also with the hashtag LLA Podcast. Therefore, we can always check and see when you guys are talking and, you know, commenting on the show when we're not necessarily on Twitter. And, of course, you can always find us on Facebook, um, LA, LLA Podcast. So just and just, just a in. special special request is if you like the show, please go to iTunes and give us a review. Yes, please. If you don't have to give us some five-star, perfunctory, butt-kissing review if you don't feel that way. You can, you can give an honest review of, you know, here's what I like about it, here's what I've done. I don't care. But give us some feedback. Give us a review. Just let us know what's going on because you know, we have like two reviews on there, and I know we have more than two people listening. All right. Yeah. So we see the stats. Okay. Get, yeah, exactly. A lot of you out there checking out the show. Exactly. Get on there and give us a review. It, it, it doesn't have to be. There's no obligation for it to be a five star review. Okay. Just an honest review. We'd appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And also, it's per, a personal request for me would be this particular episode. Listen to it and share it with everyone you know and care about. You know, get it okay. out. This is the kind of the thing that's important. You know, this is, this is not just for you to hear or, or for like me and Sincere to be able to talk to James. Let's get this one out there to everybody because yep. this is an important issue that everyone should be concerned about. You know, this, is, this is not an issue of, oh, it's not happening in America or it's not happening in my neighborhood. So it's not. It is. This, <laughs> is, a, this is serious human suffering here. And mm-hmm. if any of us can do anything to make a difference, then it's not something you should do. It's something you have to do. It's, you should be compelled to do something, whether it's donating five bucks. Don't tell me you don't have five bucks to donate. No, I don't even want to hear it. And, don't even yeah. tell me you don't have five bucks to donate. I don't care if you don't have a job right now or you just go, I've been there too. Okay? I always had five bucks to donate to some cause, no matter how bad things have been for me. And I've lived off credit cards at different times of my life. So I, I, I know it. So so. Take some action in whatever way you're comfortable doing. Get this episode out there. I mean, maybe if you, if you can't donate any money, fine. Just, just get other people to listen to the show at least. You know, get this one out there. I, I've never made that request for any show we've done, but this one I feel is extremely Yeah, this important. one needs to be heard, man. I, I, I am going to push this show hard through every outlet I have. I can promise mm-hmm. you that. So I want to get as many people as possible to listen to it. Awesome, man. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks thanks again for supporting the show. And uh, great talking to you, buddy. Same here, man. We'll see everyone next time. All right, man. Have a great week, everybody.